Welcome to Skywave Audio Theater. I'm your host, Norman Gilliland. How quickly they turn. Mark Trell has the respect of the sheep ranchers in his neighborhood, but when one of them jumps to a conclusion, a lot of them are out for blood all of a sudden. The blood of a dear friend of Mark Trail's. It doesn't take much for Trail to put the blame on the real culprit, but how can he prove what really happened before a trigger-happy rancher shoots a precious dog? This is Whisperfoot. It's Mark Trail from February 15, 1950. Kellogg's Pep! Kellogg's Pep, the build-up wheat cereal with the prize in every package, invites you to share another thrilling adventure with Mark Trail. Battling the raging elements, fighting the savage wilderness, striking at the enemies of man and nature, one man's name resounds from snow-capped mountains down across the sun-baked plains. Mark Trail! Guardian of the forest. Protector of wildlife. Champion of man and nature. Mark Trail! In the sheep herders' country just north of Lost Forest, A gala celebration is in progress. Mark Trail and Cherry have been invited to a barn dance. The huge barn has been cleared, the floors waxed down, and everyone is happy and excited as they wait for the music to start. Having a good time, Cherry? Oh, wonderful, Mark. (laughs) I'm so glad these sheep ranchers invited us. I haven't been to a square dance in a long time. Oh, the caller is going to begin again. All right, here we go. Take your partners, and here we go. First trail off with a couple of the rides, and it's now looked at the north. It's Carl Harkins, one of the sheep ranchers. I've, uh, I've just been out to the sheep pens. Five sheep have been attacked and killed. Whoa. Did you see the killer? Yeah, I saw the killer. Who I saw him running killer? away. It was Mark Trail's dog, Andy. Well. While proving that his dog, Andy, is innocent, you can bet that Mark Trail will find plenty of thrills and excitement. Thrills and excitement that'll be fun to hear and even more fun if you're in shape to share the excitement. If you feel fit to get the fun out of it. And one sure step toward feeling fit for fun is to make Kellogg's Pep a main part of your breakfast every single day. Kellogg's Pep, the build-up wheat cereal. Wheat in its most delicious form. Toasted flakes of wheat. Ready to eat? Fun to eat. Wonderful with milk and sugar. And because super delicious Kellogg's Pep is a powerhouse of food elements you need to help you build up strength, energy, and nerve, it helps keep you on the winning team in any game or sport. And mark this. Before the show's over, I'll tell you how you can own and operate a model miniature automobile controlled by a secret power that will amaze your friends. Meantime, just remember, if you want to have your fun and eat it too... Ask your mother when she goes shopping, bring me a package of Kellogg's Pep. That's 
Kellogg's Pep. With the news that Andy has slaughtered five sheep and run away, the excited sheep ranchers run out to the pens. And sure enough, the dead animals are lying on the ground, their throats torn, while the excited sheepmen surround Mark and Cherry. Real, I always knew that dog of yours was a killer. Andy is no killer, Harkins. Of course he isn't. I hear Jeff and this here dog of yours has already tasted blood, and I hear he killed a deer up north. Yes, yes, that's right. As a matter of fact, he did. But it was because I ordered Andy to do it. We were up in North Forest, an Indian guide and myself. We were starving, too weak to track any game. Why, we'd have died if Andy didn't find that deer. But he did kill. Yes, but it was for food, and Mark's trained Andy Don't to... make any difference, Miss Cherry. The dog's tasted blood, and as long as he's running around loose, our sheep aren't safe. That's right. Listen, boys, wait a minute, listen. You're all jumping at conclusions. I know, Andy. Why, he's my own dog. Now, I'll admit it looks bad for the moment, I'll but I... I'll say can... it looks bad, Trail. I saw Andy with my own eyes among the sheep, and he ran away, sneaked across the range when I saw him. If he didn't kill those sheep, why did he run away? Oh, but that, that still isn't true. Oh, isn't it, Miss Cherry? No. Cherry is right, Harkins. Now, if you'd only give Andy a chance, wait till I find him and not then... Not on your life, Trail. We're not aiming to give this killer dog of yours a chance to kill again. We're going to hunt him down and shoot on sight. That right, boys? All right. We'll start hunting at daybreak. Oh, Mark, they're going to kill Andy. I've got to find him. I'm going to take one of the horses and look for him. Cherry. Cherry. Well, Martha... Sure good to be home. Yeah, Frank, it was a fine barn then, till all that trouble happened, that killer dog and all. Martha, to tell you the truth, I'm a little worried. Sheep out in our pens are all we got in the world. Yep. Not enough that we brought them through scabbies and sheep tick, but now with a killer loose on the range. Well, no use worrying about it. It's late and we'd best be getting to bed. Yeah, I guess you're right. Frank, what's that? Loose out in the sheep pens, Martha. You're right. Quick, Martha. Get me my rifle. Oh, Frank. Oh, Frank, look. Yes. Three lambs. Three of our best hampshires. Slaughtered. Frank, it must have been that big dog, Mark Trail's dog. Oh, no doubt about it, Mother. If I ever get a chance at that killer, he'll never murder another lamb at night. Frank, listen. What's that? Sounds like the whine of a dog. Over there in the corner of the pen. But it's dark. We can't see it. Let's but... move closer. Take a look. Frank, it's Mark Trail's dog. It's Andy. Yes, it's a murdering critter, all right. Look at him. He's all covered with blood. Get back, Mother. Frank, what are you going to do now? You, I'm going to put a bullet through his head with this rifle. I'm going to make this range safe for our sheep once and for all. Oh, but Frank, you can't now do anything. Now, you murdering critter, you've struck down your last... Frank! Wait a minute. Now, no, don't shoot yet. Someone's coming. Who? What? It's 
that girl from Lost Forest. Cherry. Mother, you go in the house. I want to handle this alone. sheep country, we shoot a killer dog on sight. You know the law of the range. He didn't kill those lambs, Alan, and I can prove it. Oh, yeah? How? Andy's wounded. Slashed across the head and legs. Sheep never fight back when they're attacked, you know that. That means there must have been some other animal in the sheep pen. All I know is that your dog was the only prowler here. Alan, I want to hunt down the real killer as much as you do. But before you pass judgment, let's take a look around. Look here. Huh? Where? On the ground here, the edge of the corral. There's a track of the dirt. The print of an animal's animal's foot, see? Let me see. Uh, it doesn't look like anything to me, Trail. It's blurred. It's a print, all right. The print of a mountain lion. Hey, wait a minute. Look. Look, Alan. There's a toe missing. Huh? Now I know who slaughtered your sheep. And the others near the barn dance. What are you driving at, Trail? This is the track of the big mountain lion they call Whisperfoot. Whisperfoot? Yes. <laughs> that can't be, Trail. Well, that big mountain lion hasn't been around in these parts for two years. Slaughtered over a hundred sheep in his time. They say he had a human mind. Yes, yes, I know, Alan. But he's come back. You can see that by the paw print. That doesn't mean a thing to me. It's so blurred it can mean anything. And I'm sure Whisperfoot's dead. Alan, listen to me. You listen to me, Trail. I heard enough. I'm going to town and pick up the boys. I'm going to tell them I've got the killer right here. I tell you, boys, there was a mountain lion in the sheep pen of Allen's here. And I tell you, Trail, the only killer in the pen was your dog, Andy. Allen here found him dead to rights. But that track I showed you. Can't tell a thing by it. It is blurred. Could be almost anything. Boys, I've trailed practically every kind of game in every part of this country. I know that's the track of a mountain lion. And that missing toe proves it's Whisperfoot. Whisperfoot? Yes. Well, he's been dead for years. Sure thing. Say he was drowned or fell off a cliff. Yeah, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Now you're right, boys. There's no use waiting. I'm going to finish off this killer right now. Alan, what's your gun away? No one's going to stop me. Look at that dog staring up at me. If that ain't the devil himself in his eyes. Don't go near that dog, Alan. Get your hands off of me. I'll shoot if I want to. Oh, no, you won't. Oh, you? 
As Mark hears the shot, his heart leaps into his throat. Slowly, he turns to look at Andy. In a moment, we will continue, so stand by. With Andy's very life at stake, Mark has to call on all his strength, energy, and nerve. If Andy were your dog, a lot would depend on your strength, energy, and nerve. So listen. Help build up strength. Help build up energy. Help build up strong bones and steady nerves. With that famous build-up wheat cereal, Kellogg's Pep. Whole wheat in its most delicious form. Toasted flakes. That's Kellogg's Pep. Now, no cereal, not even Pep, can make you strong as a strong man after only one or two servings. However, one serving of Kellogg's Pep day after day does add up to a powerhouse of food elements you need to help you build up strength, energy, and nerve. You can skate better, run better, feel better, feel fit for fun. And in addition, Kellogg's Pep is a powerhouse of delicious flavor. Yes, sir. Every crisp toasted flake of mmm, marvelous, multi-flavored Pep makes you want to say, mmm, more Pep, please. And don't forget that special message I'll have for you later. Learn how you can own a miniature model car and operate it by remote mystery control. Till then, remember, if you want to have your fun and eat it, too... Pick Pep the prize package with the powerful powerhouse punch. Pick Pep. Mark Trail's St. Bernard Andy has been accused of killing sheep. When Frank Allen, one of the sheep ranchers, leaps at Andy with a gun, Mark grapples with Allen. There is a shot. And then... Give me that gun, Allen, you crazy fool. There. I'll get another gun trail. You're not stopping me. I'm glad that bullet missed my dog, Allen. I don't think I'd be responsible if it hit him. Now take it easy, Allen. Take it easy. Maybe we ought to give Trail a chance to clear his dog. Uh, thanks, Hawkins. Now listen to me, all of you. I hate a killer on the range as much as any of you. But Andy didn't kill those sheep, and I can prove it. Now, I say Whisperfoot's alive, and I'll track him down. But you've got to give me time. I'll have to have time. How much time do you want? Well, uh, give me a week to find that killer line, Harkins. Sheep ranchers here won't wait that long, Trail. We'll give you less than 24 hours. The deadline's sundown tomorrow. But that's just tonight and all day tomorrow. Take it or leave it, Trail. All right. All right, Alan. I'll take it. They gave you only 24 hours, Mark? Oh, that's right, Sherry. But how can you do it? It, it would take a miracle. I've got to do it, Sherry. Andy's life is at stake. I've got to prove to them by tomorrow sundown that Whisperfoot is the marauding killer, stalking every sheep pen on the range. Whisperfoot? Yes. Mark, isn't he the big cat they say is is almost human? Yes, Jerry. He's not only a cruel and savage killer, but he's shrewd and cunning. 
Trailing him down is going to be the hardest assignment I've ever tackled. Well, Mark, are you going to use traps? No, no, I'm not. Ordinarily, Cherry, I never use a steel trap, except when I was hunting a killer like Whisperfoot. But even in this case, uh, traps would be useless. Why? Well, because Whisperfoot has a toe missing. Oh. That means he was caught in a trap once and tore a toe off getting away. Uh-huh. Now, that means he's trap shot. And he'll always be on the lookout for them. Well, then how are you going to trail Whisperfoot? Well, I've only got one chance, Cherry. One chance in a hundred. Dogs. Dogs? Yes. There's a hunter named Gorman living in Bonanza Valley about an hour from here. He owns a pack of hunting dogs, especially trained for big game. And I'm riding for his place, Cherry, right now. dogs to track down that big cat on trail. That's right, Gorman. And if I don't bring him in by dawn tomorrow, my dog dies. I see. And you think old Whisperfoot is alive, huh? I I know he is. (laughs) You're a smart woodsman, Trail, and I give you credit. I know he's alive, too. Matter of fact, I've spent a year trying to corner him myself. Uh, Gorman, I haven't much time. If you'll lend me your pack... Sure. Sure, Trail. I'll be glad to. You can take the pack and bring back Whisperfoot. But on one condition. What condition? I don't know if you'll want to do it, if you knew what I had in mind. Well, Gorman, I have no choice. Andy's life is at stake. Well, if we catch up with Whisperfoot my way, we still might not be able to bring him back. At least not in time. Well, what's up your sleeve, Gorman? It's this way, Trail. I've been offered $5,000 if I deliver a big cat like Whisperfoot. So I'm going to go along on this trip with you. Why, gosh, I'll be glad to have you. Two guns are better than one. Oh, no. No shooting. No shooting? What? Why, Gorman, what do you mean? We'll be doing the impossible if we do it at all, Trail. A zoo wants Whisperfoot. We must bring him back alive. sign of Whisperfoot yet, Trail. No. That cat's got the cunning of a devil, Gorman. We've come a long way. Yeah. Now horses are getting winded. I have to rest them soon. Wait, Gorman, I, I've sworn to get that cat. There's only one thing that worries me. What's that? Time. An hour since we left the sheep ranch. It'll be dawn soon. I'll say one thing, Trail. Yes? I thought I knew every trick of big game hunting. But you've taught me a few I never knew before. Thought sure we'd lost a trail back to where Whisperfoot crossed that gully. But you put the dogs right back on. Foreman, I've never concentrated so hard in my life to catch a killer. I keep thinking of what the sheep ranchers will do to Andy. And, well, I've just got to find that big cat, Gorman. I've just got to. If I don't, I can't... Trail! Listen. Gorman, it's Whisperfoot. Let's go! Gorman, rein up a minute. Gorman, look. Look over there. Uh, it's Whisperfoot. He's fighting the dog's trail. Yes. 
And he's killed two of them already. Trail, he's seen us. He's running toward that chasm. Now he's jumping that chasm to the other side. There he goes. Trail, he's made it. He jumped clean over to the other side. Come on, Gorman. There's no time to waste. here. On this edge of the chasm. Yeah. It's Whisperfoot's lair. Right. He's been holding up in this cave in the rock. And it's stuffed with sheep bones. Well, that ought to be proof enough for anybody. As to the real sheep killer. Sure. But what about Whisperfoot himself? Big cats on the other side of this chasm. It's a long jump. Maybe 15 or 20 feet. Gorman, we've got to jump. Get across. I don't see how. What good if we did? While we figure out how to get across, that cat will gain miles on us. No, no, we won't. A mile or so past this chasm is the Wilco River. Mountain lions won't even attempt to cross the water. Yeah? He'll be stopped between the river and this chasm. Maybe so, but how are you getting across? I'm going to get my horse to jump it. Well, that's suicide. It's the only way. Well, even if you do make it, even if I'm fool enough to follow you, how do we get the dogs across? I've got that figured out, Gorman. We'll stretch a rope across this chasm and tie it tight between my horse and yours. Well, I, I suppose we can hitch both ends to the saddle of each horse and get them to pull it taut. But then what? Well, there's some bacon in my food pack. I'm going to grease that rope with the bacon. I don't get you yet, Trail. How does that get the dogs across? Easy as pie, Gorman. We tie each dog with a second rope and loop it around the one that's stretched across this chasm. Yeah? Then we give each dog a shove, and he slides right across. Now, when he gets to my side, I let the dog go. Trail, you're a genius. <laughs> you get stuck by a chasm, so you make yourself your, your own hanging trolley car out of a rope. You got a head on your shoulders. Well, there's no time to lose. Will you tie the dog? Sure. All right, then. I'm going to jump. Now, when I get on the other side, I'll toss you half my rope. Then you can hook up the line across. Mighty smart idea. Trail, I'll tell you what. If you make the leap, why, I by golly, I'll take my chance, too. Okay, Gorman. First me. Come on, now. Come on, boy. All right, boy. Steady now, steady. Now, let's go. Jump, boy. Jump for your life. Wait, wait a minute. First, I've got to grease the line. Then we get the dogs over. I'm with you all the way, Trail. Don't worry about me pitching in. Then you come over. And when we're all on this side, the chase starts again. Quite some trick trail. I can't get over it. I never saw that done before. Sliding dogs across on a grease line like one of them overhead ski trains. Forget the compliments, Gorman. We've got to get that cat. Look. The sun's beginning to drop toward the west. I've got to get him back to that sheep ranch before... Trail! Look, the river. Whisperfoot's at the edge of it. Afraid to cross like you said. The dogs are closing in on him. He'll make for that tree, I'm sure. Here yeah, he goes. They treat him. He can't get on. Quick, Gorman. Come on after him. So we meet at last. Well, eh? remember now, no guns. You must take him alive. I know. How can we do it? He'll rip us to pieces if we get close enough. Only one way, Gorman. Look, the tree's on the edge of the river. Now, if it's chopped down correctly, it'll land in the river. The cat will be afraid of getting wet, so we'll hang on to the tree. He'll be marooned. 
helpless in the middle of the river. I get it. Then we can lasso him easy. Tie him to the tree and carry it off between our horses. That's the general idea. But who's going to do the chopping? I am. Uh, but trail, you'll, you'll be right under him. Supposing he decides to come out of that tree and springs at you. Gorman, that's the chance I've got to take. in this now. The sun will be down in an hour. If you ask me, Alan, it's time. Yep. Sun will be down in a couple of minutes. Please, please give Mark Trail a little more time. He'll be here soon. I know he will. We made a bargain at Trail, Miss Cherry. We're going to keep our side of it. Harkins, let's stand Andy against that fence. Right. You ready, Alan? Ready. No, no, don't. Please don't. Out of my way, Miss Davis. It'll be over with one shot. Andy looks up at Mr. Allen, his eyes pleading for his life. Soon you will learn what happens, so keep listening. Now, about that little mystery automobile. You can get a real scale model 1950 Ford and make it go without touching it, winding it, or pushing any buttons. You see, with your car, there's a special mystery control ring. Simply hide the ring under your fingers, wave your hand over the car, and presto! The car will follow your hand like magic. It has no batteries, no motor. And yet, without touching it, you can make it go fast or slow, forward or backward. It's terrific. Now, to get your MagnaPower Ford and Mystery Control Ring, just send your name and address with 25 cents and one box top from Kellogg's Pep to Kellogg's Box 400, New York, 46, New York. And while you're waiting, you can have fun eating mmm, marvelous, malty-flavored pep. Now, that address is Kellogg's, Box 400, New York, 46, New York. Ah, you'll sure have fun with your MagnoPower Ford. No wonder folks all say, if you want to have your fun and eat it too, pick pep the prize package with the powerful powerhouse punch pick pep. Mark Trails, St. Bernard Andy, accused of murdering sheep, looks up at the rifle held in Frank Allen's hands. Allen takes careful aim, and then... Perkins, grab a hold of him. That dog's gone crazy. He won't stand still. Someone's coming, and Andy knows it. That's why he's jumping around. Someone's coming. Who? Listen. Listen. It's Mark. Mark Trails. See him coming over that rise? By George Harkins, it is. Hey. Hey, what's the horse dragging behind him? Looks like the best part of a tree. Oh, no, no, it's more than just a tree. Something's tied to it. Parkins, do you see what I see? It's Whisperfoot. Mark's trails bringing back Whisperfoot. Cherry. Cherry, am I in time? Is Andy all right? Oh, Mark. You're just in time. Just in time. <laughs> 
Harry, know what that is? Whippoorwill, I'd say, Mark. Good for you. But you know, there are lots of bird calls you'd never recognize. The calls of rare birds who are almost extinct. On Friday, Mark visits a sanctuary for rare birds. But he also comes face to face with a dangerous killer who takes careful aim at Mark before he pulls the trigger. Tune in same time, same station on Friday and find out what happens to... Mark Battling the raging elements, fighting the savage wilderness, striking at the enemies of man and nature. One man's name resounds from snow-capped mountains down across the sun-baked plains. Mark Remember to tune in then on Friday when Mark Trail will again be brought to you by the build-up wheat cereal, Kellogg's Pep. This program is entirely fictitious. The resemblance of any name, personality, or incident to an actual person or event is merely coincidental. This program came to you from New York. Mark Trail by Ed Dodd also appears in the comics of many of America's leading newspapers. Look for it daily on Sunday. Stay tuned now for Tom Mix and his straight shooters. Today's Mark Trail was written by Max Ehrlich, directed by Drexheim. Matt Crowley portrays Mark Trail, and Amy Sedell is Cherry. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. able to follow Mark's trick for getting the dogs across the river with a rope greased with bacon? I'd have to think through that one a time or two. Well, for the great outdoors, improvisation has saved many a cause. That was Mark Trail with the story of Whisperfoot from February 15, 1950, and chopping down the tree with Whisperfoot in it, daring stuff. Get your scale model 1950 Ford if you're fast, very fast. And now you have an invitation to a party. Two parties, in fact. The first is from Jimmy Durante. This is Skywave Audio Theater. You got the idea that he was always having a good time and wanted his audience to have a good time, too. Jimmy Durante took to the stage early. He dropped out of school in the seventh grade to become a full-time ragtime pianist. And from there, it was on to vaudeville and to the movies. He started in radio in 1933, just as Jack Benny was starting to get into his stride. And within a few years, Burns and Allen and Fairman McGee and Molly would be there, too. It was a formative few years, the first couple of years of the 1930s. Jimmy Durante celebrates his birthday in this broadcast from February 11, 1948. Good health to all from Rexall. From Hollywood, it's the Jimmy Durante Show. Yes, 10,000 Rexall drugstores who carry the complete line of top quality Rexall drug products 
bring you the Jimmy Durante Show with Peggy Lee, Candy Candido, Roy Bargy and his orchestra, the Crew Chiefs Quartet, yours truly, Howard Petrie, and that Lothario of the Lumbago set, Victor Moore. Ladies and gentlemen, you may have noticed in the past week a tremendous movement to draft Durante for vice president. And here is the man who started it, the one and only Jimmy Durante in person. Uh, paint the walls green. Now even when things go wrong. Uh, paint the ceiling blue. You feel better. You even look better. Uh, paint the floors yellow. Stop the music. Stop the music. And I want the dining room painted brown, the living room painted orange, and the whole outside painted lavender. Mr. Dewey must be pretty confident he's changing the color of the White House already. <laughs> don't, don't call the piano movers, Harry. Dewey is not in yet. <laughs> Well, Snoz, the presidential race is really beginning to get exciting, isn't it? Dewey, Stassen, Warren, Taft. Wait a minute, Howard. Speaking off the record, with Petrillo's permission. <laughs> I have a little inside gossip on Senator Taft. Did you know that he went on a diet? Senator Taft went on a diet? Why? He heard that the team song of the Republican convention is going to be, I don't want him, you can have him, he's too fat for me. <laughs> Ah, Durante, you must have taken a bath in Oxidol. You're sparkling tonight. <laughs> well, tell me, Jimmy, where do you stand in the present political situation? Right where I've always stood, Howard. Candidate for the vice presidency. And if there's anybody in this audience who's got anything to say against me, I want him to feel free to speak his mind. Well, Mr. Durante, I... <laughs> If there's anything I hate, it's a blabbermouth. <laughs> Ushers, remove that man. I doubt if I'll get any more laughs from him. Well, now, Jimmy, this isn't a criticism, but if you're elected, how do you propose to stop the quibbling, which often hamstrings the action of Congress? I don't know what you said, but I hope my answer fits. <laughs> my plan, Mr. Petrie, is to make the Hawaii, is to make Hawaii. There I go, it's the coal that's frozen up my tongue. Yes. My plan, Mr. Petrie, is to make Hawaii the 49th state. Couldn't they give me another state like Ohio? <laughs> they got to make it Hawaii. My plan, Mr. Petrie, is to make Hawaii the 49th state. Then they'll send two beautiful hula dancers to the House of Representatives. Well, will that stop quibbling, Jimmy, just putting two hula dancers in Congress? Certainly. Who's going to object when they put their motion before the House? <laughs> And as an addendum to the referendum, uh, I'm going to raise the standard of living to the status quo. Yes. So that everybody is guaranteed a living wage. Well, now, that's a good idea, Jimmy. After all, money talks. Yes, money talks, but nowadays you can't keep it long enough to start a conversation. <laughs> An intelligent observation. I wonder how I ever thought of it. <laughs> Jimmy, you're so right about the cost of living. Why, these days, I can't afford to eat steak. Well, don't you eat turkey? No, turkey doesn't agree with me. Don't let that bother you. Turkey doesn't agree with Russia either, but Stalin keeps nibbling at the giblets. <laughs> and, Howard, speaking of Russia, if I'm elected, I got a plan for collecting all the money Russia owes us on Lend-Lease. I'm going to send ten guys over there that will squeeze out every nickel. Who are you sending over, Jim? Diplomats? No, salesmen from a used car lot. <laughs> Boy, Molotov will be mortified when they force the fog lights on him. Well, Jimmy, it sounds like you've got an unbeatable platform. 
And I know you'll be happy to learn that there's an old friend here who wants to help your campaign. You know him, Mr. Ripple, the commissioner of Rivers and Waterways. How do you do? Get your barrels ready, men. We just struck a gusher. But tell me, Mr. Ripple, how do you propose to help me get elected? Well, I speak with a fine spray that would be very valuable in your campaign song. A spray in your voice is going to help my campaign song? Sure, you furnish the ink a dinker, and I'll furnish the <laughs> I had an answer to that, folks, but he washed it off my script. Wait a minute, Mr. Ripple. Who's this youthful cherub standing here beside you? Oh, this is my little boy, Trickle. Say hello to Mr. Durante, son. How do you like that? <laughs> How do you like that? I'm surrounded by a gusher on one side and a squid on the other. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Durant, he helps me with my work in the Department of Rivers and Waterways. <laughs> what do you do, son? I'm in charge of puddles. <laughs> he talks funny, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's a drip off the old faucet. <laughs> You know, Mr. Durante, I think that water, water, water. Don't look now, Sonny, but I think your pop just ran dry. Yes, come on, Pop. Where are you taking them? Over to the reservoir to get a tank filled. To the <laughs> You know. I'm glad they left. I was beginning to get caught in the undertow. <laughs> well, Mr. Petrie, what's next on the agenda? Well, now, Jimmy, yesterday was your birthday, and we here in the Rexall program want to help you celebrate it tonight. Now, here's a little something for you that we all chipped in for. Uh, we didn't know how old you were, so we didn't buy any candles. But, well, here it is anyway. Oh, isn't that sweet? A cupcake with a piece of punk on it. <laughs> but listen, fellas, I'm only a secondary figure in this celebration. Let me explain the situation the other night, I'm walking home and feeling so gay. When I'm walking home, I'm always that way. What a home I got. The kitchen is delightful. The living room is grand. And the bathroom is out of this world. Which makes it a little bit inconvenient. <laughs> when I opened up my door, I got the grandest surprise. All my friends were there, and they began to harmonize. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Curb your enthusiasm. This isn't my birthday. Yeah. No. But it's the birthday of someone near and dear to me. It's my nose's birthday, not mine. And I'm proud to say the schnauz is doing fine. You know, my nose was born upon this day in 1893. Exactly two weeks later, the stalk delivered me. It was the first time in history that a nose outweighed the child. <laughs> when I was born, my dad took one look at my schnoz and said to the stork, Take that back. Just because our country's emblem is an eagle, that don't mean we have to raise one. <laughs> but in spite of my dad, the schnoz and I are closer than Damon and Petinius. Not even a mustache has ever come between us. 
You know, I tried to raise a mustache once, and what happened? Nothing. It wouldn't grow in the shade. <laughs> but I'm as happy as I can be. Cause it's my nose is golden and a voice You know, folks, as I traveled hither and thither down life's highway, my schnoz was always with me. Why, I remember my first train ride. I was in a lower boat when I decided to call the porter. So I stuck my nose out through the curtain, and what happened? The porter came by, grabbed my schnoz, and before I could pull it back in, he brushed it, shined it, polished it, and said, Now, where's the other shoe? <laughs> but in spite of everything, I've always managed to give the schnoz up to date. When the styles changed, I gave it the new look. I let the hem down three inches. <laughs> However, I'll always be obliged to the schnoz. I'll never forget the time it saved my life. It was one of those sultry weekends at the beach. I am in the water swimming the Australian crawl when I found myself face to face with a vicious swordfish. He was just about to attack, but after taking a second look at the nose, the swordfish said, I give up. You're equipped with a superior weapon. <laughs> so you see, I am as happy as I can be. Cause it's my nose is golden anniversary. Yes, sir, it's my nose is golden anniversary. If you want to be sure that the product is pure when you ask for a drug preparation, buy the Rexall line at the Rexall sign of Rexall identification. Did you know that more than 2,000 different drug products bear the name Rexall? That's a big family indeed, and a highly respected one, too. For in millions of American homes, the familiar name, Rexall, has come to mean the utmost in quality, purity, and reliability. So for any, and for all, of your drug needs, always buy Rexall. Have confidence in what that name means. Quality, purity, and reliability in drug products. Get them at Rexall drugstores throughout the nation, where 25% of America buys its drug needs. If you want to be sure that the product is pure when you ask for a drug preparation, buy the Rexall line at the Rexall sign of Rexall identification. Good health to all from Rexall. Ah, I love those Rexall commercials. And Howard... I want to thank you for that lovely bowl of goldfish you gave me for a present. Oh, did you like them, Jim? Yeah, but this morning when I looked in the goldfish bowl, all I found was a note for my cat. A note from your cat? Well, what did it say? It said, leave six cans of sardines under the back porch, and I'll return the goldfish unharmed. <laughs> what a sneaky cat. He was holding the goldfish for ransom in an old hot water bottle. <laughs> But the digress from the proceedings we presented this time... Just a minute, Jimmy, Jimmy. There's somebody here you invited to your birthday party. Remember me? I'm Candy. (laughs) This kid hasn't run downstairs to talk to himself. Are you sure I invited you to my party? Oh, yes. I've even written a poem about it. Listen. I'm going to Jimmy's party. And when the birthday cakes are glow, I'll whip out every candle. Because I'm feeling mighty (laughs) glow. digress once more from the interruption to the elocution, we present a preview of the picture of the week. I walk alone. (laughs) You walk alone? 
I have to. When I'm on the sidewalk, there's hardly room for anybody else. Dick DeMore! Victor, you're not so fat. It's just that success has went to your stomach. Well, Jimmy, let's not talk about me. I heard that yesterday was your birthday. Well, I just want to wish you many, many happy returns of the day. Thanks, Victor. That touches me deeply. I'm not one for making speeches, Jim. But as you slide down the banister of life, may the splinters never be pointed the wrong way. <laughs> That touches me even deeper. Uh, tell me, Jimmy, how old are you anyway? 38. <laughs> Jack Benny can get away with it, so can I. Well, it doesn't matter, Schnoz. I only say a man is as old as he feels. Well, how do you feel, Victor? I, uh, I think I'll lie down for a while. <laughs> Victor, you've been overdoing it again. I warned you not to open pistachio nuts on the day of the broadcast. Well, Jimmy, before I forget, here's a little birthday gift I brought for you. Oh, Victor, you shouldn't have done it. Let's see what it is. Oh, it's a sweater. Yeah, don't spread this around, but I knitted it myself. <laughs> it's a lovely sweater, Victor. And don't feel bad because you didn't leave a hole for my head. I can always wear my glasses on the outside. Ah, birthdays are nice, Jimmy. Yeah, I always got a kick out of them, even when I was a kid. Well, I didn't. Jimmy, I had a very confused childhood. A confused childhood? Yeah, the stork that brought me forgot to leave a set of instructions. Victor, I got news for you. The stork doesn't bring babies. He don't? No. Well, how do you like that? My father's been lying to me all these years. Well, Victor, here's someone every man... Every man should know about. And she wouldn't do their fathers any harm either. I'm talking about the Chantuzzi of great songs, Peggy Lee. <laughs> Hello, Peggy. Buenos noches, muchachos. Como están ustedes estandien? Peggy, where did you learn so much Spanish? I go to all of Xavier Cougat's fights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she didn't want to say that. Ever since she wrote the words of the song Manyama, she speaks Portuguese like a native from Portland. If the writer of that joke ain't on a super chief, what's holding him? <laughs> but have you ever been to Mexico, Peggy? Oh, I lived down there for quite a while, Jimmy, and I loved it. Whenever I come back, I feel as though I'd left a part of me there. I don't know what you left there, but I'll bet they missed what you brought back. <laughs> I got a million dollars. You better keep an eye on this kid, Jimmy. Your job is in jeopardy. <laughs> Everybody wants to get into the act. Look, I'm having a little birthday party at my house after the broadcast tonight, and I want you both to be there. The place will be a muck with wine, women, and song. Well, I can furnish the women. I'll call Mr. I know Mr. I can call Mr. Oh, maybe I'd better bring the wine. Well, Jimmy, I can furnish the song. How about manana? Not manana, Peggy. Sing it right now. (laughs) 
tea is dripping and the fence is falling down. My pocket needs some money so I can go into town. My brother isn't working and my sister doesn't care. The car, she needs a motor so I can't go anywhere. My mother's always working, she's working very hard. But every time she looks for me, I'm sleeping in the yard. My mother thinks I'm lazy, and maybe she is right. I'll go to work mañana, but I gotta sleep tonight. Oh, once I had some money, but I gave it to my friend. He said he'd pay me double, it was only for a land. But he said a little later that the horse she was so slow. Why he gave the horse my money, it's something I don't know. My brother took a suitcase and he went away to school. My father said he only learned to be a silly fool. My father said that I should learn to make a chili pot. But then I burned the house down, the chili was too hot. The window she is broken and the rain is coming in. If someone doesn't fix it, I'll be talking to my skin. But if we wait a day or two, the rain may go away. And we don't need a window on such a sunny day. Here's a 60-second story from the Rexall Laboratory. In the great Rexall Control Laboratory, many different scientific tests are made every day to make sure that Rexall products are compounded correctly. Some liquid products, for instance, are tested for viscosity. Or to invent a handy word, we might call it pourability. Certainly no one wants a liquid drug product that is so thick it won't pour at all. And many liquids, such as milk of magnesia and mineral oil, must be thick enough so that they don't pour too fast. That's why Rexall uses the vicosimeter, a highly accurate instrument which measures vicosity scientifically. This is only one of many tests made on Rexall products. But it's a part of your guarantee that you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. So for any and for all of your household drug needs, always buy Rexall at Rexall drugstores everywhere. If you want to be sure that the product is pure when you ask for a drug preparation, buy the Rexall line at the Rexall sign of Rexall identification. Good health to all from Rexall. Well, Victor, how do you like the way my house is fixed up for the party? You may not realize it, but that genuine chop suey hanging from the Chinese lanterns. Yeah, yeah they're pretty. By gosh, Jimmy, I can hardly wait. When the party starts, I'm going to grab every girl I see and hug her and kiss her and squeeze her and squeeze her like she's never been squeezed before. Victor, are you really going to do that? No, but before every party, I give a pep talk to my idol. Oh, I see. <laughs> That's a... <laughs> 
You're lucky. The last time I contacted my arteries, the message came back marked address unknown. <laughs> but, Victor, everybody be here in a minute. I think I'll see here they are now. Excuse me, I'll answer the door. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. Hello. Whose car is that parked out there on the sidewalk? Hmm? It's my car, officer. Well, isn't that just dandy now? How would you like a ticket? No, thanks. I'm not going to the policeman's ball this year. I'm tired of dancing with you cops. <laughs> and I'll never mind your shenanigans. You pass your car on the sidewalk and you're getting a summons. Officer, I'm surprised at you. You mean you'll arrest a fellow Hibernian? No, I don't care. Oh, well, now. Oh, so it's a fellow Irishman, yeah. Oh, tell me, is your family from County Cork? My family goes even further than Cork. They went halfway down the bottle. <laughs> My an Irishman, he says. Faith and be God in my face as the map of Ireland. Yeah, but what about what about that nose? Step up and kiss the blarney stone. <laughs> oh, so it's making sport of me are now. On the contrary, officer, I realize I'm wrong and I'm willing to accept the summons. Well, ain't that sweet of you? Oh, no, you don't. I <laughs> heard what's been going on. Jimmy and I'm not letting this flat-footed Cossack push you around. Please, Victor, I'm doing all right the way I am. Now, don't worry, Jimmy. They don't call me Victor the Fixer for nothing. I haven't met the man who tells me what to do. Do you hear? I haven't met the man who tells me what to do. Well, you've met him right now. Shut up! I'm glad to meet you. <laughs> Boy, that's diplomacy. Now, listen to me, you overgrown ham-hock. I was going to let this bugle beak off, but on account of you, I'm throwing the book at him. Here's a summons for parking on the sidewalk. Reckless driving, resisting arrest, endangering life, limb, and property, and keeping an unsanitary goat on the premises. Why, you leave me out of this. <laughs> Wait a minute, officer. I was only parking my car on the sidewalk. You can't give me a summons. It's unconstitutional. Unconstitutional it is, eh? Yeah. The Constitution guarantees everyone life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Isn't that right, officer? Yeah, what about it? Well, parking on the sidewalk makes me happy. Well, your case comes up in the morning. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. This court is now in session. Judge Frankfurter presiding. Are you Felix Frankfurter? Uh, no, skinless. <laughs> you sit down, bucket pants. Now, the state of California versus James Durante. Guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. And if I'm convicted, I'll take my case to a higher court. And if I don't get satisfaction, I'll take my case to the Supreme Court. And I'll even go higher than that. I'll take my case to a notary public. Uh, don't worry, Jimmy. They don't call me Victor the Picture for nothing. In the words of John Paul Jones, don't give up the... We have not yet begun to... Oh, what's the difference? He's dead, I think. Oh. If he's dead, he must have had you for a lawyer. Here, the defendant will rise and hear the charges read. The charges against James Durante are parking on the sidewalks, reckless driving, resisting arrest, endangering life and limb and property, perjury, larceny, sabotage, treason, and smoking in the patrol wagon. I'm lucky they didn't smell the scent scent on my breath. And carrying concealed scent scent. They smelled it. Now, wait a minute, Your Honor. I don't think you're paying attention to the proceedings. Why do you keep on sticking your head under your black robe? Underneath, I'm developing pictures. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's continue with the case. Is the defendant satisfied with the jury? 
Yes, Your Honor, I'm convinced that the jury is completely unbiased. Then will the jury rise and identify themselves? Uh, Pete Durante. Harry Durante. Eddie Durante. Charlie Durante. Tim Durante. Bill Durante. Tune in tomorrow for another episode of One Man's Stammer. Now, before we start the examination, does the defense wish to challenge any of the jurors? Well, I think I can lick that little old lady on the end. <laughs> Order in the court. Uh, Your Honor, may I interrogate my client, the defendant? Proceed. Mr. Durante, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. Well, in that case, we're licked before we start. <laughs> Proceed with the witness, Pudgy. Thank you. Now, Mr. Durante, tell Judge Frankfurter, in my own words, exactly what happened. <laughs> well, Your Worship, I... Uh... Never mind. Well, Mr. Durante, isn't it true that the officer was unjustified in giving you a ticket for parking on the sidewalk? I object. You object? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you think he was convicting me or something? <laughs> Yes, I was in park and I was driving on the sidewalk. In California, it's the only safe place. Well, Jimmy, there's only one way to beat this rap. Plead guilty and throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Okay, Victor, I'll do it. Your Majesty, I admit that you caught me with my insult, fact, no doubt. And in view of the habeas corpus, I plead guilty to the charges and the sales tax. <laughs> and throw myself on the mercy of the court. In that case, I'll pass sentence immediately. Twenty years at hard labor. Wait a minute. I demand a new trial. On what grounds? On the grounds that I ain't doing so good in this one. Good help to all from Rexall. We hope you're feeling fine. So always call for Rexall, where you see the Rexall sign. Remember, 25% of America buys its drug needs in Rexall drugstores. Rexall is that large and respected family of more than 2,000 different drug products. You can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Available in Rexall drugstores everywhere. Touche, Howard, and I'd like to add, I do my shopping at a Rexall store, buying Rexall drugs, and furthermore, Umbri Algo, he prefers them too. We buy Rexall, that's all. How about you? When I'm far away, when we're far away from you. Now, who will be with you when I'm far away? Let me hear that band. Hit it. Say, now, who's going to buy you all those pretty things? Who's going to tell you all those? What a note. What a note. Delightful note, Mr. Yes. A note of exuberance, Mr. Moore. But seriously, Victor, we're really having a party at my house after the broadcast tonight. I'd like to take you with me, but I can't. I'm taking Peggy Lee. Now, wait a minute, Jimmy. I'm taking Peggy Lee. Sorry, boys, but I already have an escort. You have? Who is it? Well, how are you? <laughs> well, 
that's all for tonight, folks. Victor Moore will be back with us next week. Also, Peggy Lee, Candy Candido, Roy Bargie, the crew chief's quartet, Dave Barry, who plays the part of Mr. Ripple, yours truly, Howard Petrie, and Jimmy Durante in person. Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. program was produced and directed by Phil Cohan. Good health to all from Rexall. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That was the Jimmy Durante show from February 11th, 1948. Durante might be the only star who revealed his birthday and his age during his show. He was born in New York on the Lower East Side in February, February 10th, 1893. Durante came to TV early, by the way, in 1944. It was a surprise appearance. A reviewer for Billboard magazine wrote, Without script rehearsal or makeup, he went on to give a top performance, proving that a star of Durante's caliber shines in any entertainment medium. Aware of camera angle importance, Schnozzle played his profile for all its irregularity. His ad-libbing was fast and funny. Well, we have another party to attend next. We'll take you on stage here as we continue with Skywave Audio Theater. Elliot Lewis met singer and actress Kathy Lewis, no relation when they were recording the Woodbury Playhouse in November of 1940. In April of 43, while he was on leave from the Army, Lewis married Kathy at Chapman Park Hotel in Los Angeles. For the next 15 years, they worked together on some of radio's best series, including Voyage of the Scarlet Queen and Suspense, and they also produced their own series for about a year. On stage was an anthology series, it took its plays from a variety of sources. This play is called The Party. It's on stage from February 12, 1953. Immediately following Time for Love, stay tuned at 6.30 for The Bing Crosby Show. Joining the old groaner as special guest tomorrow will be Hollywood's newest singing discovery, Joanne Gilbert. On hand, too, will be Bing's old sidekick, violinist Joe Venuti. Then at 7, Horace Height and his musical nights are your host for another sparkling session of The American Way, coming to you this week from Knoxville, Tennessee. At 7.30, Cal Douglas takes over for 30 informal minutes of visiting time. Time for love, Bing Crosby, The American Way, and visiting time. Enjoy them all tomorrow night at the bright spot, 1070. The right spot for the best in entertainment, KNX Radio. Kathy and Elliot Lewis, on stage. Kathy Lewis, Elliot Lewis, two of the most distinguished names in radio, appearing each week in their own theater, starring in a repertory of transcribed stories of their own and your choosing. Radio's foremost players in radio's foremost plays. Drama, comedy, adventure, mystery, melodrama. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Elliot Lewis.
Good evening. May I present my wife, Kathy? Good evening. A poet long since forgotten once commented, There is no place on earth, absolutely no place on earth, where a woman can be so much of a woman as at a party. And so E. Jack Newman, who loves women and parties, wrote tonight's play for us. It's called The Party. I'm the hostess, Irene. And I'm the current suitor, Aaron. And now let's go to the party. Gosh, you look swell. Did you forget the ice? No. Stopped on the way. Man should be along any minute. Oh, that's wonderful. Hello, darling. Mm. I'm not dressed yet. Hello, Angel. Everything's gone wrong. Can't seem to get anything done. And hors d'oeuvres aren't Bessie's dish of meat, I'm afraid. What can I do to help? Oh, look at the time already. Now, don't get upset. Yes, dear. Relax, Angel. Go ahead, finish dressing. Uh, darling, um, um, all of those things on the bar, can you, can you sort of open them for me, please? Yeah, huh? sure. What else? I have no idea who'll be here and who won't. Oh, dear. Mm, I do love you so terribly. Yeah, that's fine. And I love you. What, dear? And I love you. Isn't that nice? I think so. Hurry up with the things, huh, dear? Yeah, sure. Well, how are you tonight? I'm fine. How are you, Bessie? Oh, I'm just fine. Haven't seen you in a couple of days. <laughs> I've been busy. Got enough of that stuff, didn't she? Yeah, looks like it. Mm. I need a paring knife, Bessie. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I guess I better get that. Darling? Yeah? If that's somebody coming on time, play bartender and host for me, please, dear. Yeah, you betcha. It's the ice. Huh? Ice. Did you order some ice? Oh, yeah. Who is it? The ice. The what? The man's here with the ice. Uh, in the kitchen, Bessie. What? It's in the kitchen now. Oh, good. Yeah. You want 75 cents? Yeah, okay. Here, he can keep the chain. All right. How much ice is that? 50 pounds. You don't think you'd be able to use all that? Well, Somebody you can't tell. Yeah, all right, we're getting it. Hello? Uh, just a minute, please. Is that for me, Bessie? Uh-huh. Okay. Hello? Oh, hello there. I sure do. Oh, um, uh, the second turn to your left and to the end of the road. Oh, anytime. All right. Bye. Oh, I guess I'm already. Hey, you're a nice sight. You're a nice sight yourself. Look at all that ice. Oh, my. <laughs> Uh, light some cigarettes, huh? Hands are wet. Oh, good idea. Here you are. I'm here. Thank you. Hmm. <gasps> I forgot the anchovies. Can, can you reach them? Uh, up there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Dear? Hmm? 
have something to tell you. You went and did it, didn't you? Here's the opener. Thanks. Well, I'm a single girl, and I'm having a party, and I can invite anyone I please, can't I? Sure. You angry? I wouldn't have come if I'd known he was going to be here. Oh, that's so silly. Why not? Because he knows about you and me. All three of us will be uncomfortable. I won't. Let me put him on the dish. Well, I will, and he will. Freddie's very interesting. You'll like him, really. You look so glowery, sort of. Yeah. You won't do anything, will you, dear? I ought to punch him in the nose. Oh, isn't that silly? My, what a scowl. I don't think I'll stay. Such a dark look. You shouldn't have asked him, Irene. Aaron's mad. Don't pick on him. I'm not picking on him, Bessie. Why do you do these things? Darling, I'm just having a party and I invited a man. Now, what's wrong with that? I thought you were finished with him. I am. I think. <laughs> oh, nuts. Besides, Kay had to have a man. I think Kay and Freddie ought to get along just fine. What's the matter with her husband? You know they don't get along. Yeah. Let Kay get her own man. Don't be so gloomy, dear. I'm leaving. Really? I mean it. You shouldn't feel that way. Well, how else do you expect me to feel dragging out Freddy? Oh, you're pouting. Are you really angry? Of course I'm angry. Goodbye. Good night, dear. Did you snap on the porch light, please, dear? Oh, shut up. Wow, Aaron. Hi. Well. Well, what? You didn't leave. No, I came back. Are you over being mad? I guess so. You don't look it. I... Dear, I'm just having a terrible time trying to mix drinks and introduce people. Will you mix for me? Well, sure, darling, but... Yes, I... dear? I need a drink. Yes, dear. Go go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll get the door. Go on. Well, hello. How are you? Hi. Come on in. Let me take your coat. Hi, how are you? Hi. Hello. Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, hello. Roy Peterson. Aaron Yardley. Yardley? That's right. What can I make for you, Roy? <laughs> you the bartender? I am. Well, I'd like a little gin and tonic. Have you got it? Yeah, I got it. Uh, I mean, certainly has a lovely little house, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. You know, I think she's just a sweetheart. She sure is. Bless her heart. Why not? Oh. Here you go. Well, bless your heart. And bless yours. Cheers, Roy. Cheers, Aaron. Well, bless your heart. Yeah. Aaron, have uh, you met Mr. and Mrs. Granger? No, I don't believe I have. Dave and Betty, this is Aaron Yardley, and you know Roy. Bless your heart. Oh, how do you do? Hello. Oh, nice to meet you. What are you drinking? We're scotch and water people. Scotch and water by two. Two of these, and I'll be flying the mail planes. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, will you please? Sure. Here you go. Thanks. Thank you. Isn't he fast? Oh, fine. And you're all right. I like you. Bless your heart. Bless yours. Huh? Bless your heart. Oh. I want you all to meet Freddie Pomeroy. 
Freddie, uh, this is Mr. and Mrs. Granger, Dave and Betty. How do you do? Oh, hello. And uh, Roy Peterson. How are you? Fine. And uh, Aaron Yardley. Hello. You want something to drink? I've been drinking bourbon. With what? Water and ice. Is there any other way to drink bourbon? Yeah. Fred's been at the races all day long, haven't you? Yeah. Traffic was terrible coming back. I'm a little bushed. Uh, you, you excuse me, please. Sure. Yeah, I never can win at the races. I never go. No, we never go either. I go when I get a chance. I always figure I'm ahead if my horse breaks. <laughs> Here's your drink. Thanks. How'd you do at the track? Lost six out of six. Couldn't pick a one. I'm glad to hear that. Hmm? Well, bless your heart, Ann. I think I'm ready for a refill. <laughs> Gin and tonic. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. Excuse me. Sure. Yeah, sure. Seems like a nice fellow. Yeah. What's his name? Freddy. Fred. What do you do? Me? Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what do you do? I tend bar. Where? Right here. I work on a 24-hour basis. Whenever Irene throws a party, I'm bartender. Here. Thanks. And he's very good, too. Bless his heart, yes, sir. What do you do? I'm married. Don't you do anything? We have enough trouble just being married. Hold down the bar, Roy. Well, glad to. Are you giving up? I thought you were on duty 24 hours a day. <laughs> Rest period. <laughs> bless your heart. You bless betcha. your heart. Excuse me, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm through with those big cars. I'll take a small one every time. Seven cents a mile is a lot better than 11 cents a mile. First of the year, I'm standing in line. Where's Irene, Bessie? In the bedroom, using the phone. Thanks. Love to. No, I'd love to have you come over. Doesn't make a bit of difference how you dress. Just a few friends. Look forward to seeing you. Bye. Oh, what's up, darling? I gotta get back to my party. No, wait, Irene. What? Oh. You win. Besides, Freddie isn't anybody to worry about now that I've seen him. He looks like a jerk. He's very nice, and Kay likes him. She can have him. Let's get back to the party. I'm a hostess, remember? Now, just a minute. Who's this bless-your-heart boy? Roy? Isn't he cute? Very snazzy. Where'd you find him? He was at lunch the other day. I sort of asked him to drop in tonight. He sells bathtubs or something. I like him. He likes you. Isn't that nice? I like you, too. As a matter of fact, I love you. And I love you, dear. Irene? Well, Paige, how nice. Hello, Hello. Paige. Hello, Aaron. I just walked in. Well, let's go in the front room of the others. My goodness, there's a party going on. What are we doing in here? Well, I'd better go get myself a drink. Aaron's standing by. He'll get it for you. What are you drinking, Paige? Whatever you are. Anything. Just yell, bless your heart, when you get near the bar. Hmm? You'll be taken care of. Okay, I'll try it. What are you drinking, Irene? Vodka and grapefruit juice. I'll go with you, Paige. No, wait. Oh, I'll be right there, Paige. Uh, okay, Irene. What is this? What is what, for heaven's sake? Him? What's he doing here? He called me tonight, and I told him I was having a party, and I asked him to drop in. You never quit, do you? Quit? This does it, sugar. This really does it. Boy, you're racking them in here by the carload tonight. Half of those yo-yos out there, old exes, currants, and people who got the old eye treatment when you didn't have anything else to do. What am I supposed to do, stand around and feed them whiskey and make polite conversation while they snap at you like a bunch of hounds after a fox? I'm a hostess. Aaron, I... I've had all of this I can take. I'm going. Well, suit yourself. You know how I feel about you. Listen. Listen, we're not married. We're not engaged. I can do anything I want to. And that means I can invite anybody to my party that I feel like inviting. 
I'm having a party, and I'm going to have a good time. You can be angry if you want to. I don't care. I'm leaving. That's up to you. Yeah, it sure is. So long, it could have been swell. Yes, it could have. Good night. Good night. You are listening to Kathy and Elliot Lewis on stage. Tonight's play, The Party. Many young people are undecided about what sort of career to follow. Unfortunately, we can't solve this problem for everyone. But here's a suggestion to young women who are high school graduates and in good health. There are plenty of openings in the nursing profession, and the three-year course leading to a nursing certificate is a fascinating one. Inquire today at your nearest hospital or from your school advisor about your chances of entering the nursing field. Well, sir, now you take your ordinary harsh type of bracelet. Well, bless your heart, Aaron. I thought you left. I came back. Give me one. Sure, sure. <laughs> hey, isn't this a swell party? Seems to be. Hey, ever met that fella standing over there with Irene? Yeah, his name's Paige Taylor. Paige Taylor. Awfully nice chap, isn't he? Great. Now, Irene's certainly a charming hostess, bless her heart. Mm-hmm. Now, here you go. Thank you. Excuse me? Oh, sure, Well, hi there. Oh, hi. Do you uh, dance or do you just stand around? Well, I've been known to dance. Well, come on. Dance with me. No one else is dancing. So we'll start it. Put your drink down. Yeah, okay. <sighs> you look pretty grim about the whole thing. Do I? What's the matter? Somebody steal your car. No. This is a party. Happy. Remember? I remember. Mm, you're really grim. Irene? What? Are you going with her or something? Or something. <laughs> Don't take it too hard, Aaron. She's just having herself a time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, easy now. I won't bite. What's your name? Betty. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. What's the matter? You don't look grim anymore. Don't I? Mm-mm. No, you don't. I, you certainly don't. Well, I don't feel grim anymore. I gave up being grim a couple of seconds ago. Never be grim, I said to myself. Never be grim. What do you think of that? Could I dance with my wife? Yeah, sure, why not? This is my wife. Mm, hello, dear. Well, then you can have her. Thank you, and good luck. What's gotten into you, anyhow? Oh, perfectly lovely. I really think we should explore this together sometime. After all, if you played a clarinet and I played a clarinet once... Hi, come here. Aaron, Paige plays a clarinet, too. Imagine... I want to dance with you. I can't, darling. I'm hosting. Oh, come on. I'm being taken away against my will. Well, I'll see you later, Irene. Uh, now, come here. What, darling? I'm back. Yes. Don't you want to dance with me? Yes. Well, it wasn't much fun going away. Besides, I want to be with you. I'm glad, darling. I want to be with you. Well, you could never tell it the way you were sitting in the corner with him. We were having a very interesting discussion. He's a very intriguing man. I always thought he was kind of stupid. 
Really? Besides, I'm the most intriguing thing you'll ever get your hands on. We ought to be married. Yes, dear. I don't see the racetrack kid around. Hmm? Ready Freddy. What happened to him? I don't know. I really don't. I think he just sort of disappeared with Kay. They were getting along fine. I'm glad he's gone. When's Paige leaving? He does look lonesome. He doesn't know anybody here hardly. He's cute. Looks pretty dumb to me. It's getting late. I hope it lasts all night. I'm having a wonderful time, aren't you? I feel lousy. Oh, I'm sorry, dear. But I can last longer than any of them. Yes, dear. I guess I love you. Dear. What? Go get me a drink, please. Please? Can't we finish this? I'm hosting. Okay. I'll get you a drink. That's fine, darling. Thanks. Thank you. Burning all over again. Well, you'll have to admit I do it with a lot of drama. <laughs> I would like a drink. So would I. Come on. Mm-hmm. What's your poison? Scotch. Coming up. What happened to bless your heart? Oh, I don't know. You look nice. You look nice yourself. Uh, let's dance. I thought you wanted to drink. Now I want to dance. Okay. Get your hands off of my wife. Oh, no. Hmm? Eh, Dave, you get a little jealous sometimes. Oh, isn't that nice? I'm going to the powder room. Excuse me? Excuse? I'd like to dance with my wife a couple of times tonight, if you don't mind. I don't mind one darn bit. Have a drink. I... Scott. Okay, already fixed. Here you are. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you noticed I smiled when I told you to get your hands off her. <laughs> Smart girl, Betty. On the ball, sharp, you know. Good head on her, good sense of values. Well, yes, sir. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> we missed you. Oh, I've been moving around. You want me to build your one? No, 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 thanks. Still have this one. Everyone happy here? As happy as turtle doves. Uh, this is Arthur and Edith Esther. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Arthur and Esther Madden. You know Dave, Arthur. Oh, sure. How you been? Well, I asked... Hi, Dave. And, uh, Roy Peterson? You folks came kind of late, didn't you? Well, we left one early to get here. Oh, yes. Aaron, uh... Yardley. Aaron Yardley, dear. Remember? Uh, yes, dear. Aaron Yardley. Hello, Arthur. Esther, right. can I get you something? I don't believe so. Esther? Uh, nothing for me. Well, you missed a lot of the party, Arthur. <laughs> Bless his heart, he has. Everyone have a drink? I, I don't want do. one. Yeah. Not for me, thanks, honey. Arthur! Arthur Madden! Betty! <laughs> Irene, you didn't tell me Arthur was coming. <laughs> I didn't know if he'd make it or not. Always make one of your parties, Irene. Where have you been? Oh, putting on a new face. Arthur, you're looking very good. Thank Did you. you lose some weight? A little. Bless your heart. <laughs> huh? But never mind. Did you make me a drink, Aaron? I did not. But I will. Thank you. It's good to see you again, Irene. Like old times, huh? It's been almost two years. Yes, yes. How long have you been married? Mm, nine months now. Gosh. Yep. Anybody else? Not me. No, I Thanks. I think we should all get drunk and be somebody. Come on, Arthur. I want to talk to you. Okay. Seems like a nice, nice fella. Bless his heart. Yes. Yeah. Dave, why don't you ever dance with me? He's always dancing with you, that's why. I give up. She's all yours. Well, that's not very gallant. Thanks, friend. I'm always giving women away. I don't know whether I like you or not. Well, have a dance with your wife and talk about me. She thinks I'm swell. Now, you listen, Eric. Oh, come on, Dave. Don't be stupid. (laughs) 
Swell party. Peachy. Uh, have you seen Irene, Aaron? She just took a plane to Kansas City to visit a friend, Paige. Why? Well, I, I can't seem to find her. I want to say goodnight. Well, I'll say it for you, Paige. Well, it doesn't seem right to just walk out. Well, try it. You'll love it. Good night, Aaron. So long, Paige. Uh, nice to have met you. Bless your heart. Nice to have met you. Good night. Uh, oh, gosh. It's almost 3.30. Shank of the evening. Have another belt. No, no, I, I don't think I'd better. Hey, you. Me? Yeah. You made a crack a while back here I didn't like. What crack did I make that you didn't like, Dave? You said... Oh, come on, Dave. You're being silly. Yeah. We better get out of here. Get your coat. Yeah, you come with me and get yours, too. Good night, Roy. Good night, Aaron. Toodaloo. Yeah, uh, good night, folks. Well, it wouldn't be a party if somebody didn't get mad and make a pass at somebody's wife, would it? <laughs> always, always seems to happen. C'est la vie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, we settle down to some serious business. Hmm? It's called riding out the storm. Have a belt, buddy. Wonderful. Arthur, play my romance, please. For me, huh? Oh, it's getting late, Irene. Only 6.30, Arthur. You're doing swell. Arthur, that was your last song, and we're the last ones here. But you came last. And we're going last. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's scramble some eggs, huh? I don't huh? want any eggs. I want to go home, and I want to yeah, go to bed. I'll tell you what, tell you what. Why don't we all go over to my place and have breakfast? Why tonight? not? Oh, we can eat here. I have plenty of things. Party's over. We'll take it up again sometime. One more piece, Arthur, please. Oh, come what? on, Arthur. So you've had it for tonight. It is pretty late. Hmm? Oh, dear. I'll make some coffee. Don't bother. Anybody got a cigarette? Come on, boy. Yes, dear. Well. Well, this is good night, Irene. Mm-hmm. Nice to have met you, Erin. Uh, it's been jolly. It has. Come on. Dawn. Yeah, and we have to get up at eight. Oh, no. Good night, dear. Good night. Mm. Good night. 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 <sighs> I told you I could outlast all of them. You sure can. Oh, I'm dead, Aaron. I'm just dead. I know. Irene. Yes, love. Why'd you do it? What? Wave all of those men under my nose tonight. I just had a party, that's all. Oh. Freddie, Paige, this guy used to go with New York, Arthur. Why? Oh, dear heart, let's not discuss it. I was pretty mad all night long, you know. I know, dear. You looked horribly intense and serious. You kept avoiding me. I was the hostess. Oh, look at this house. Irene, I... Don't you want me? Of course I want you. Then why this kind of thing? I might have walked out and never come back. I know. I don't want to go away from you. I want to come to you. That's good. I love you. Well? All right. What? It's my birthday. Your birthday? Well, why didn't you tell me? How old are you? That's why I didn't tell anybody. People always want to know how old you are. Besides, I didn't want you or anybody to make a fuss about it. Oh, Irene... 
I wanted to be a lady bachelor tonight just to see what it was like. <laughs> I liked it. Oh. For one night. Oh? I'm awfully tired, dear. It was a terribly long party. I wish they'd all left at midnight so I could have been with you. Hmm? There's nothing more disturbing than a warmed-over boyfriend. What about Paige? He's new. Don't worry about him, love. I am so tired. So bloody tired I could die. Too much party. Yeah, I'm afraid so. I just happened to think. Hmm? I don't really like this kind of thing. Games? Mm-hmm. It's all so silly. I played along pretty well, don't you think? Magnificently, dear. So <laughs> jealous and so unhappy all night long. You walked out three times. Twice. Twice. <laughs> Why didn't you walk out when Arthur came in? You know, we had a big thing in New York a couple of years ago. Too tired. Did it make you happy walking out? Terribly, dear. Isn't that awful? Yeah, kind of. I don't understand it. You know, neither do I. I guess women have been doing this to men since the beginning of time. What? You know, making sure everybody knows they're female. Like you were tonight. Is that what I was doing? That's what you were doing. Perils of love, Aaron. Yeah. I'm convinced, dear. Are you? You're all woman. Well. And bless your heart. <laughs> Come here. Hey, see what I mean? Oh, Aaron. Huh. Wasn't it a wonderful party? Underlying question there. What was Kathy Lewis's character up to in throwing that big party in the first place? Attending were some of radio's great voices, though, including Lou Merrill of Crime Classics fame and Jay Novello, a.k.a. Captain Sam Sabaya from Rocky Jordan. Not to mention Kathy and L.A. Lewis themselves. That was on stage with The Party from February 12, 1953. Just around the corner, it's Sam Spade here on Skywave Audio Theater. If you hear about a character called Five Dollar Frankie who has been cheated by gentle Joe Higgins, a known horse doper, you might think that you've stumbled into an episode of the Damon Runyon Theater, but in fact, you found an episode of The Adventures of Sam Spade. After Howard Duff left the series, the lead went to Steve Dunn, who was, if anything, just as frenetic especially in those scenes with Effie, played by Lorene Tuttle. This is the Sure Thing caper as the adventures of Sam Spade from February 9th, 1951. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Sam. A man named 
five dollar Frankie called up and said he's putting two dollars in your name on a sure thing at some track or other. Well, that's nice to hear. I don't think it is at all. You know I don't approve of your gambling, Sam. Effie, you do some things I disapprove of, but do I snipe at you? Well, no, but... No buts about it. And besides, I didn't place the bet. It was placed for me. I don't care. It's the principle of the thing I don't like. Well, suppose I put it this way, Effie. That two dollar bet on a sure thing was more than just a money bet. It was a gamble on the inherent goodness of the human soul. Oh, Sam, you're just trying to confuse me. I am, but I'll straighten everything out to your satisfaction, I trust, when I appear at the office with a highly stylized and rather charming saga of horse players and the world they live in. What else but the sure thing caper? For NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer, director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. I hope you always are at the wages I pay you. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, Sam. When I pay them. I don't want to start an argument, but I do need some new clothes. Oh? You want me to put up a, a good front, don't you? I will rephrase my answer. Yes. Well? Effie, if you can hold Warp and Wolf together for a few weeks, I have a feeling we'll be rolling in dough, driving big cars and wearing mink. Oh, you mean that best. All conjecture. Enough of your sneering. Now, you hear me out. Weigh the evidence and maybe you'll feel differently. I doubt it. No good comes of playing the horses. Date, fill it in. Two $5 Frankie, care of... Uh... Sam, wait a minute now. Hmm? $5 Frankie what? What's his last name? I don't think he has one, F. As I get it, he was born just before a gold cup handicap at Pimlico, and they didn't have time to give him a last name and place a bet, too. So they chose the bet. Oh, Sam, that's awful. What do you mean, awful? That horse paid 18 to 1. Well, well, to get on, two $5 Frankie, care of Patterson Smoke Shop, Myrtle Street City... From Samuel Sucker Spade, San Francisco, license number 137596. Subject, the sure thing caper. Dear $5 Frankie, for you to be seen at the hour of 1 p.m. post time anywhere but at the track is truly a veritable, unbelievable occurrence. So when my door pivoted open Monday at said hour and a short gent with 36 shoulders and a 44 long plaid coat came in, my eyes told me it was you, but my mind screamed, no. I checked your wide brim pork pie, your zoot gabardine slacks, suede and alligator wingtip shoes, and it still repeated, you, you, you. Sammy, do not look as if you have just lamped the ghost. It is I, $5 Frankie. But at this hour, Frankie, what is it? Your watch broken? Did you lose your way? You sleepwalking? What? No, Sam. I am in complete possession of my faculties. Good. And I came here with the full knowledge of my intellect. Uh Uh-huh. I even see through the crystal of my timepiece that it is one o'clock, the hour from which they break from the barrier. That's right. But I have not been drinking, and as for sleepwalking, that is strictly for gents with unhappy marital relationships. All right, Frankie, I'm forced to agree with you that you're standing in front of me instead of the $5 window. Now, what's the dope? Well, ordinarily, I do not resort to hiring a strong arm to consummate my business dealings. Naturally. There being a full supply of such muscles lying around the back room of Patterson's smoke shop. Loose. But when the job calls for both tact and muscle, I am forced to roam far abroad in search of the same. You mean you have a job for me? A real honest Seabiscuit job that'll pay money? Well, with the ordinary Seamus, I might try to offer a little paddock chatter, you know? Yes. But with you, Sammy, with you, I will tend the coin of the realm. Good. I will pay you, of course, in $5 bills, as is my wont. In advance? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Ten times five. Figures. Now, do you veritably consider yourself in my employ? I am veritably in the race, Frankie. Good. 
Now, Sammy, leave it to be understood by both parties that I am not pouting you off on any sour deals. Uh -huh. A rather curious situation has arisen, and I will explain it to you candidly, as they say in certain novels which I have not read. Well, most novels lose so much in the translation. True, true. Yeah. My narrative begins yesterday, to be exact. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, their heels and toes into the back room of Patterson's smoke shop, a gent whose face was once as familiar to me as my own. By name, said gent... They call him a Gentle Joe Higgins. Gentle Joe. Yeah, a horse trainer by profession, mm -hmm. which in our civilized society stands second only to jockeys in importance. Granted, granted, no argument. Well, I say to Gentle Joe, it has been some time, Gentle Joe, since I see you around and about. Mm -hmm. And he says, I have gave up the old life for the new, mm -hmm. as I no longer am welcome at the track since a certain embarrassing incident five years ago. What incident was that, Frankie? A horse doping job, the illegal type, oh. which... Uh, depresses me to relate, you know? mm -hmm. So I will not. Ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gentle Joe looks a little worse for the wear, his clothing being literally shabby. Mm-hmm. Oh, I figure a touch, and I am preparing a story that will wring tears from a tax collector even. But? But Gentle Joe does not mention the word touch. Uh-huh. Oh. Instead, he announces he has a sure thing. Uh. Sammy, you know how those words do to a horse player. It's like throwing a bale of catnip to a lion. Oh, my arteries open to let the blood through faster. My, 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 my nerves give off loud ringing noises, and my mind is already computing. Of course. Well, before I can stop myself, I have pressed 500 rocks in Gentle Joe's hand, begging him to place them on the same sure thing. I'd have done the same thing under the circumstances. Of course. But Gentle Joe says it will take at least 1,500 rocks to pull off the deal. Oh. He further advises me that the horse in question is due to retain 20 rocks to one. So you gave him the other thousand? Well, not having it in my genes at the time, I cut two other business and professional friends in on the gravy. Mm -hmm. Dinosaur Torelli and Bones Moulton. Five bills apiece. And then? Gentle Joe rushes out of Patterson's and... Has never been heard from again. A sad tale. You think he just stole the money? And gentle Joe Higgins is a horse player, not a common sneak thief. I'm sorry, sorry. But uh, did he leave town? He did not. On the advice of certain informers, I tracked this gentle Joe to a ramble shack or rooming house on Clark Street. Uh, 241 to be exact. And? And there the trail gets very cold, very cold indeed. He's made his move, huh? No, 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 but... He had a landlady who would not let me in. Complicated. Oh, she is a frightening person to behold. Hmm? She is indeed half wildcat and half witch. I'll deal with her. Good, good. And uh, tell Gentle Joe that I am not an overly suspicious person, but uh, also relate to him my position. Hmm? Uh -huh. Dinosaur Torelli and Bones Moulton are two such gents as it is wise not to cross. Rough. Back fence gossip has it they are the undertaker's best friend. Well... Indeed, it is also rumored they are behind their quota for the month. Mm. Well, oh, and uh, Sam. Yeah? At Bay Meadows. Yeah? A bad card. Nothing going today. Oh. In preparation for my meeting with this redoubtable landlady, I ran through my repertoire of low, mean faces in front of the mirror, leaving smoking holes in the glass. And then I stamped out, heading for the rooming house on Clark Street. 2.41 to be exact. My knock was answered by... Well, it was even worse than you told me. She was gumming a sen-sen. What are you standing there for? You're shaking my geraniums. Oh, no. 
Well, sir... Speak up, speak up, Curly. I ain't got all day. Madam, perchance do you house in this quaint colonial inn a fine old gentleman called Gentle Joe Higgins? You the Lord? No, I'm in business for myself. You see this? Oh, one thing I hate worse than the Lord is private detectives. Hmm. Can't trust them. Nope. Cheap. Never have any money. Hey, look. Never want to pay anything. Uh, Always want something for nothing. You... A surely no good lot of pocket pickers who should all be boiled in oil right, and sir. thrown in a pit full of snarling uh, One moment, madam. Madam, look at this. Oh, yeah. well. <laughs> that's kind of crinkling I'd like to hear. I thought you would. <laughs> Wouldn't mind having a mattress stuffed full of that green paper. <laughs> it is a pleasure, distinctly, to be able to present it to such a charming, witty, and gay woman, I guess, as yourself. Now, uh... Come in, come in, bright eyes. Yes. Now, uh, where did you say Gentle Joe could be located? Second door to the left. Thank you kindly. Only he ain't in. Gone up somewhere, yes. Your timing, madam, and I should add Defarge, was a little sadistic. Now, give me my five back. You ain't heard my proposition yet. I've heard enough. Madam, you have acted in a very hateful manner. <laughs> Another five. I'll let you wait in his room. Madam... You are a Dresden doll, no matter what anybody says. Can the tatter away, you locks, and let's go. <laughs> let's have a ball. Once in Gentle Joe's room, I closed the door, thus separating myself from that skid row bankhead. While I was waiting, I cased the room. Spartan, a bed, a chair, a dresser, a racing form. Some worn clothes, various mementos and pictures of his better days at the track. I was studying an old print of equipoise when Gentle Joe turned up. <laughs> yes, he was a great stretch runner, wasn't she? <laughs> yes, indeed, a mile and 141 and fifth, and hardly damp at the end. Well, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, Now, don't, yes. don't look upset, Mr. Spade. Hmm? Fanny, Fanny told me that you were a detective waiting for her. Oh, she's a swell kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fanny's impetuous, but a good sort, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keeps the right people out and lets the wrong ones in. <laughs> a fine judge of character. No, you're generous, sir. I'm uh, about to have a cup of tea. Will you join me? Be delighted. I'll uh, just take the water out of the tap. <laughs> it's hot enough. <laughs> well, well, gentle Joe, I'm uh, I'm here on a rather painful mission. How in goes the tea? Uh, $5 Frankie thinks you caged him out of $1,500. And now for the water. And uh, two tough friends of his are looking for your scalp. Uh, there we are. Now we'll just let that steep a while, and we'll have us a pickup. Did you hear anything I said? <laughs> of course, Mr. Spitt, of course. Every word. I know why you're here. Those men are worried about their money. Yeah. But uh, next time you see them, you tell them not to worry. Well, they said uh, this sure thing of yours was going to return 20 to 1 odds. That's a lot of money. Oh, it will. It will. All of that. Maybe even many times more. Yeah, yes, it's a sure thing. You mean the race hasn't been run off yet? Yeah, there we are now. I think the tea should be ready. Well, mm -hmm. Now, this is yours. Thank you. And this is mine. Huh? Ah. <clears throat> ah, a Darjeeling flowering pico. There's no finer tea. Has an almond flavor. Yes, it's peculiar to the region, mm -hmm. especially pronounced in last year's crop. Yes, well, then, um, shall we get back to business? Yes, now, you tell those gentlemen that they have no need to fret about their money. It'll be returned to them many times over, many, many times over. Well, <laughs> are you feeling all right, Mr. Spade? Groggy, I am. They'll look back on this investment with considerable pleasure and pride. I don't know what And happened. someday they'll be able to say that they, too... Stupid Sam. Nobody had to give me a saliva test to guess what happened. That nice, sweet, gentle old man had doped me right up to the ears. 
I tried to stand up, but my legs were like two wet pieces of spaghetti, and I went down. Gentle Joe went right on talking and smiling until everything was nothing. When I came to, Joe was gone, and so was my faith in horse people. Fanny had made herself scarce, too, and I stumbled alone out into the daylight for resuscitation. It took walking, coffee, whiskey, and a bowl of raspberries to bring me around. I eventually found a safe haven in my own office. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Mr. Hangover speaking. Uh, Mr. Spade, this is Gentle Joe. What? Listen, you... Yeah, I, I know, I know how upset you must be over my little deception. Little but, uh, deception? It was what? all to a good purpose, Mr. Spade. You see, I had to get out of there in a hurry with the minimum of discussion. I seem to remember you were hustled out of the racing game for doping a few three-year-olds. Well, that's what some people in official circles felt. But, Mr. Spade, I want to apologize to you and tell you that I will be able to explain everything to your satisfaction. <laughs> No. Oh, no. Help! Get away! Ah! Hello! 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 Somebody put the phone back on the hook, so I hung up and dialed a friend at the telephone exchange. She quickly traced the number. The call came from the Sunset Stables out near Bay Meadows. I dialed back, but nobody answered, so I beat it out there. It was dark, and the only person I could rouse was a young stable boy. Yeah, what do you want? My name's Spade. A guy named Gentle Joe was calling me from here, and something happened to him. Gentle Joe Higgins? That's what I said. Oh, I haven't seen him in two or three years. Now, look, don't give me that. He called from here. Now, where is he? Oh, look, beat it, will you, before I scream for the cops? All right, I'll look myself. Oh, I say you can't. Now, no. But I did. There were two phones inside the stables, both hanging on posts. The second one had the number the phone company had given me, and although someone had tried to cover it up with sawdust, on the floor, under the phone, were three tea bags, and somebody had done a lot of bleeding. Looked like Gentle Joe's parlay had run out. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music and mystery on NBC every Saturday night. For music tomorrow, your hit parade brings you the top tunes in the land as selected by you and presented by Raymond Scott's orchestra, Snooky Lanson and Eileen Wilson. For mystery tomorrow, Herbert Marshall stars as the man called X. In all the strange and far-off places of the world, wherever there is intrigue, danger, and romance, there you will find the man called X. Hear him tomorrow night. And now back to the sure thing caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I collared the stable boy and questioned him about the blood under the phone and about what could have happened to General Joe Higgins. Nothing. Just wouldn't talk and he was too small to beat up. So I went looking for the stable manager. He lived in a small white house behind the exercise ring. He wasn't too happy at being awakened, but when I explained things, he came down to the stable with me. I can't understand it, Mr. Spade. General Joe Higgins hasn't been around here for at least two years. That's what the boy told me. You see, for doping a horse once, he can't come near a track or a stable. We let him hang around here, the racing commission would fine us. Well, he called from here and something happened to him. The number the phone company gave me matches up with one of your phones. There was a lot of blood on the floor, too. Well, here we are. Now, which phone was it? That one. All right, let's look at it. This is the phone, and here is the... Wait a minute. 
Come in here, you. Take off. Take off me, you big Oh. Now, tell Mr. Kemp here what was on the floor when I came in. Nothing. Nothing but sawdust. I tell you, there was blood there. No, no, honest, nothing. Mr. Spade, this boy's been with me for five years. He's perfectly reliable. Well, so am I. Well, what do you think happened? I think somebody used this old man for a punching bag. Maybe you'd better go home and sleep on it, Mr. Spade. We'll talk about it tomorrow. But don't humor me. Make this kid talk. Oh, Mr. Kemp, this guy's tappy. Danny, are you certain there was no blood or no gentle Joe? Mr. Kemp, I'd swear on my father's grave if necessary. You see, Mr. Spade? I calmed down in a little while and searched the place myself. I came up with exactly nothing but an attack of hay fever and a horsey smell. And I suddenly wondered why I cared about gentle Joe at all after what he'd done to me. So I went home and called $5 Frankie. You say you have conversed with gentle Joe? Twice, and both under rather trying circumstances, Frankie. Once I was doped, and once something happened to him. Uh-huh. I take it he did not heed the message I employed you to convey. So far, he hasn't heeded anything. Uh, then he is without a doubt in considerable trouble. I would say so. It seems that my business associates, Dinosaur Pirelli and Bones Moulton, have blown their tops and gone looking for Gentle Joe with something special in mind. Mm -hmm. Something like assassination. I was afraid of that. Mayhaps they have already contacted Gentle Joe for an accounting. Certainly, mayhaps. I think they've already mowed him down. And there is nothing further for us to converse about, Sam. It is history, and it will be recorded thusly. Well, if you say so. And if I might tender a bit of advice, mm -hmm. I would say hop into the Simmons, Sammy, and knock yourself off a few hours of that ever-loving forgetfulness. And when you arise, you will have erased from your mind the names of gentle Joe Higgins and yours truly $5 Frankie for some time to come. I was tired, and it seemed smart to take his advice. So I did. I went to bed. It must have been three in the morning when something woke me up. It was a ghost with a big white head tiptoeing into my room. The thought was so absurd that I turned over and started back to sleep. That's when the ghost touched me and I grabbed for him. Hey, wait, hey, let me go, Mr. Spade. Let me go. It's me, Gentle Joe. Will I turn on a light? <laughs> of course, I look a little different. The bandages around my head look like a turban. What happened to you? I was in Mr. Kemp's house when you were searching the stable. Stupid me. I should have come out then, but I didn't. Mm. And then I got to thinking I certainly owed you some kind of an explanation. So I found your address and came here. All right, I'll collect the explanation. Now, first, what was the dope for? Well, I was afraid you might take me back to $5 Frankie and his friends before I did what I had to do. Would you care to tell me what that was? I wanted to buy a horse. With their money? Yes, with their money. They thought you were betting it on a horse, a sure thing. I know, I know, but let me explain. I was thrown off the tracks for doping a horse. I needed money, but that's, that's another story. After five years, I could get my trainer's license back. Tell me more. Do you know what it is to love horse flesh and not be able to go near it for five years? No, the bangtail bug never got me. You can't con guys like Frankie and his thugs out of some money to buy a horse whenever you want one. There's more to the story. The horse I doped didn't get into the race. And the jockey had to ride another mount. He was thrown and killed. Well, it was too bad. I felt that I'd murdered the man. His name was Sandy Bean. Sandy Bean? Is that stable boy at Sunset Stables any relative? His son. Oh. His wife and son ran out of money, and they've had a hard time of it. I've worked as a janitor for the past five years, trying to raise enough money to buy them a horse uh -huh. to help make up for what I did. How much did you save? Only $1,500. The horse I wanted, a two-year-old named Sure Thing, cost $3,000. Well... Oh. 
Things are beginning to clear up now. How did you figure you could take money from Frankie to buy it? Well, Frankie and his friends made a lot of money off Sandy Bean when he rode. I figured it wouldn't hurt them to pay a little of it back. Well, I don't think they'd see it that way. I wasn't stealing the money. I was going to give each of them a 10% of the horse. I, I didn't dare tell it until after I bought it. Mm-hmm. Well, Gentle Joe, maybe they'll see the light, but I doubt it. I was going to take 10% for training her, give the other 60 to Mrs. Bean and her son, Danny. Mm. He'll make a good jockey. And sure thing is a great horse. I know, I know. They'll make a lot of money off of it. It's a noble plan. Tomorrow my five years is up, and I wanted to give them the horse then. I see. Who roughed you up when I was talking to you on the phone? Danny was backing a horse into the stable, and it got excited. It started kicking, and I was in the way. I thought maybe you'd been done in. I know. That's why I came to see you and explain things. Can you do anything to help me? Well, I... All right, everybody, huh? just stand where we are. There's no need to wave a gun around here. Get up, you... Gentle Joe, we've been looking for you around in a box. Now, now, dinosaur, now hey, look. Here are we wish to hear from you, Joe. Come along. Look, you're not going to take him out of here without a fight. Uh, we wouldn't mind this at all, and as much as we come equipped with a little artillery. Bones. Bones, I didn't steal that money. Shut up. Uh, all right, all right, knock it off. You want some of the sand? Yeah, if you think you can do it. And it turned out they could. I knocked Torelli's gun aside, hit him with a hard left, and he didn't go down. I tried a right, then a knee, then a couple of elbows. And I was just getting ahead of the game when something hit me across the face and printed Code 45 on my forehead. I know this sounds repetitious, but I went out again. Honest, I did. Really. I'm sorry. Appropriately, it was dawn when I woke up cold and headachy. Of course, I was alone. Gentle Joe Higgins was the victim of a successful snatch, and I had an idea what might have happened to him. I dressed and started looking all over town, but I didn't have any luck, any. It wasn't until I was eating breakfast and met a police sergeant I know that I got a tip. Morning, Sam. Hello, Sergeant. What happened to you? I tried to kiss her. I didn't know they made those kind of dames anymore. Mind if I sit down? Pleasure. Yeah. We got a homicide this morning. Yeah, who? Who knows? Just an old man. Found him in the park. Somebody really worked him over. What do you look like? Ooh, 5'10", white hair, old clothes. Probably a bum. Mm -hmm. Where is he, Mord? Yeah. Kelsey's putting a rundown on him now. Yeah, I'll see you later, Carter. Thanks. Hey, Sam, haven't finished your breakfast. They let me in the morgue, and I took a look at the corpse. And once I saw it, I knew just where I had to go. I caught a cab out to the Sunset Stable. The horses were just having their rolled oats when I pulled in, and Danny Bean, the stable boy, was there, dressed in his cleanest Levi. What do you want? Where's the show going to be? Uh, what show? Well, Gentle Joe gives you the horse, isn't this the day? Okay, so you know. Mm -hmm. Gee, I'm sorry about last night, Mr. Spade. I had to keep it a secret. Forget it, forget it. You did the right thing. When's the ceremony? In about an hour, right here. You want to wait? Sure, sure. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Of course, I cheated a little. I didn't tell you who it was I saw in the morgue. The truth was, I didn't know. It wasn't gentle Joe Higgins, though. And so I reasoned thusly, if Torelli and Moulton didn't finish him off in the night, he must have gotten out of it somehow. He was a resourceful old man, and I was sure nothing short of death would keep him from presenting Danny with a horse on the day he planned. And I was right. An hour later, he came walking in, leading the prettiest chestnut mare I'd ever seen. There was a smile two feet wide on his face. And behind him, carrying blankets, a saddle, and riding colors were who else? $5 Frankie, Dinosaur Torelli, and Bone Smoke. Well, well, Mr. Spade, this is a surprise. Well, it's a pleasant one. Yeah, this is sure thing. Oh, isn't she a beauty? She huh? is indeed. How'd you do it, Gentle Joe? Well, Mr. Spade, I uh, just invited them over to my place to have a cup of tea. 
You get it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. While we was a half out, he explained the whole thing to us. Sound like a good deal to me. We can win both ways on the track and at the window. Oh, look at the life of that horse. Just waiting to cross the finish line. Sammy boy, this is indeed a signal occasion, huh? This is the first time I have ever been this close to a horse. Mm -hmm. And me being a horse player. Well, have you talked to her yet? Why, sure. I am already talking to Sure Thing and explain to her our financial position. Oh. She has assured me she will romp home first more times than not. Well, gentlemen, shall we do what we came here to do? Sure. Leave us make the presentation. Come on, come on. Let's get into business. Give huh? the animal to the kid already. I agree. Danny? Yes, Mr. Higgins? Danny, the four of us are giving you this horse, Sure Thing. In memory of your father, the late, great, Sandy Bean. Thank you. Thank you, sir. She's a beauty, isn't she? I feel like I was just born. Ride her well, son. Ride her well. And I think he will. Period. End of report. Oh, Sam. I... It was so beautiful. A simple, old-fashioned type story, F. We feel we can use one now and then. And I'm glad nothing happened to anybody. Oh. Because I just loved them all. Everything considered, F., they weren't half bad. Now, uh, how about typing it up? Oh, I'd love to. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music and fun in the air tomorrow evening, styled to suit your Saturday night of merriment. Dennis Day brings you songs and comedy in his charming boyish manner, and then Judy Canova gets together with her frolicsome friends for Mountain Melody and Mayhem, followed by Grand Ole Opry with singing MC Red Foley and his gang. It's a Saturday night of fun designed for you. <laughs> Say now. Mm -hmm. You captured $5 Frankie's peculiar style. Perfect. And that wasn't easy. Oh, Sam, I was just thinking. Oh? We ought to contribute something along with everybody else. To that horse, you know, that sure thing. I probably will, Effie. A few dollars here, a few there, whenever it's running. Oh, I didn't mean betting. Oh. What I meant is, for example, it's, um, it's going to need a lot of hay, isn't it? Bales and bales. Well, my cousin Frisbee cuts our lawn. I'll have him save the grass and send it to the stable. Effie, you are a noble creature, <laughs> but I think sure thing can get along without your little lawn. Well, I've seen horses wearing stockings. Couldn't I knit a pair? Two pair. Two pair. But, F, let's not lose our heads. Five-dollar Frankie and his pals will take good care of sure thing. How about worrying about taking care of me? All right, thanks. Yeah. Could you use some grass or... Effie, knock off this horse talk, will you? We're almost at the wire now. People are just champing at the bit for the payoff. <laughs> All right, Sam. Let's finish neck and neck, huh? Hmm, why not? Come here, sure thing. <gasps> night, Sam. Good night, The Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Wally Mayer was Gentle Joe. Script for tonight's adventure by John Michael Hayes. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster.
Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. The fight against heart disease, the greatest killer in America, goes on with increased intensity. But doctors cannot wage this battle alone. They need your help for the eventual control of heart disease through research, education, and community heart programs. Give now to fight heart disease. Send your contribution to HEART, H-E-A-R-T, in care of your nearest post office. Join the magnificent Montague, then it's Duffy's Tavern on NBC. How about that? Were you counting? Nobody got shot or otherwise liquidated. That was Steve Dunn, a Sam Spade, in The Sure Thing Caper from February 9, 1951. After his couple of seasons as Spade, Steve Dunn worked in a smattering of radio and TV series, most famously probably as the host of TV's Truth or Consequences. What are the consequences of an impulsive act against nature? Very dire, as it turns out and also very strange, as we'll hear next, in the Weird Circle. In 1798, English readers entered a new dimension via a little book called Lyrical Ballads. It included writings by two 20-something poets named William Wordsworth and Samuel Taylor Coleridge. The book was full of mystery and magic, exploration, extreme emotions, exotic places, ghost stories, and a sense of the connectedness of all life all of those hallmarks of romantic literature to come. Well, one of those lyrical ballads was a fantastic tale of a voyage doomed by a single senseless act. Doomed in a big way. Using some of the language of the original poem, the Weird Circle brought it to radio. From February 11th, 1945, this is Ancient Mariner. Out of the past, phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale, the ancient mariner. (laughs) (laughs) Nicholas! Come on, Nicholas! You'll be late! I'm coming. Leave go my arm, old man. Listen. Listen to me. I have a tale. But I've not the time. All the wedding guests are there and... There was a ship. I don't care. This is my cousin's wedding. There was a ship, I say. Do you want money? No. Then what do you want, for heaven's sake? A tale. A tale that must be told. About a ship. Some other time. Let go my arm. If it's an amusing tale, then come. Tell it to all the wedding guests. Only don't keep me here. (laughs) Listen, everyone is there but me. And they're calling me. There was a ship, stranger, that sailed the sea. Take your hand off me. Leave me. A ship that wives and sweethearts cheered as it left the pier. Listen. Listen, stranger. There was a ship put out to sea, and I must tell its tale. The crew sang, the sails swelled, foam uncurled below our keel. Listen. There was a ship cursed by a man. Cursed by none but me. I do not like your eyes, old man. Yes, cursed. Cursed by none but me. They gleam like a madman's eyes. Cursed so that all the crew died, yet rose and walked like living men and sailed the lonely sea. That died? And What do you mean? 
who trod the deck and reefed in sails, who took the helm and walked the bridge. Yet they were dead as dead could be. Who are you? Who are you, old man? Jonathan, am I? Listen, tomorrow you shall wake a wiser man. Listen. We left the pier in a shining day. The tide was with us. Gulls rode the sparkling air, and we sailed out as gallant as a minstrel ship upon an emerald sea. Day after day our ship sailed on, and the sun rose up calm and warm, and in the evening sunk down into a crimson sea. Day after day, placid and mild, the weather stayed. But soon, from out the south, wind and tempest tore the sea, trapping our ship with giant blasts. Mountainous waves lashed at our decks. The timbers shuddered, and like wreckage, we were driven north, like matchwood in the sea. And when we stopped, it was because ice had locked us in, because around us, white and cold, there lay a frozen sea. And day after day, the sun rose up, hung in the sky, pale and chill, and then at night dropped in a ghastly sea. Day after day, the sun rose up, the heatless sun that could not set us free. And it was here the curse began, the curse that sprang from me. On a chill dawn, when the ice shone like polished bone, and the sun hung fixed and blind. On a dawn when in the frozen silence of the air I heard the ship's bell tinkle and the mate, Mr. Springer, calling me. Jonathan! Jonathan! Coming, Mr. Springer! Uh, you'd better not run. Those decks are slippery. It's all right, sir. Uh, take the bridge watch, Jonathan. Larson's down with frostbite. Aye, aye, sir. Although what else besides ice you're expected to see is beyond me. Perhaps a bit of meat, Mr. Springer. A bear. Uh, he'd be a fool to be caught in this waste. Will we ever get away from this ice? Fresh meat would be a godsend. Aye, so would freedom. You realize, Jonathan, it's spring in Massachusetts now. You could walk about without mittens, and you could sit in the sun. Ah, curse the wind that brought us here to be trapped like a fly in a block of ice. My brother's son, young Samuel, the one who's with us, he's Massachusetts-born too, Mr. Springer. Well, then there are two fools who left home for this. Master ahoy! Aye, aye, sir! What do you see? Ice, sir! Nothing but ice! Uh, he could climb three times the height of the mast and still see only ice. Oh, and this wind. My bones clatter in it. Who's that standing after the rail, Jonathan? Huh? Don't they feel the cold? That's well, young Samuel, my brother's son I was speaking of. And Benson, the carpenter. Then Samuel's getting a sermon, I'll warrant. The carpenter thumps a good pulpit. He is Bridge without... The masthead watch, sir. By the deeps, does he see something? Ranger, Ahoy! What do you see? Something flying! Flying? Where away? Off starboard! Do you see anything, Jonathan? Off starboard? Something that flies? No, I... Yes! There! Mr. Springer, there! What? Well, what do you know? A bird! A bird in this waste! An albatross! Look at the spread of his wings! Hey, look at them! And for a moment, I was hoping it was an angel. Oh, you see, the carpenter's passed the word along to the crew. The bird will have an unexpected welcoming committee. It's an albatross, Mr. Springer. I see it, Samuel. It's a sign, Mr. Springer. It's a sign. Eh? What is it, Carpenter? A sign! Out of the waste and the nothingness, God sent us a sign. Carpenter, this is no pulpit. I tell you, he has not forsaken us. Men, it's a sign. Oh, aye, aye. Now, Carpenter, you know I'm a believer myself. 
But this, it's an albatross, not a sign. Believe me, it is. Good heavens. Reach your hand. Reach your hand. The ice, the ice is breaking. The ice is breaking up. I told you, it was a sign. Aye, and it was true. The ice split wide, great slabs of it reared up and with a grinding crash toppled and fell in a thousand fragments. The frozen sea shattered. And there, there below, at last, gleamed the sea. And a wind sprang up and caught and swelled our sails and the ship, the ship that had been locked and trapped, rode free. And all the time about the ship, the albatross winged and soared, filling the air with gladsome cries, like a bringer of glad tidings that soared and sang. Day after day, the wind came up and the ship plunged on until once more we rode in warmer seas and the bird was with us all the time. Aye, it was a sign, a sign I could not read except that it was flesh and blood. And it was near to me. Uncle! Uncle Jonathan! Don't you hear me? Huh? Oh, Samuel. I've been calling you from aft. I didn't hear. I know. You've been standing here by the rail, just staring out at the sea. And at the bird. The albatross? It is a beautiful sight. Aye. But the way it flies, so graceful and easy. Like, like an angel. It was a sign, Uncle, just like the carpenter said. But didn't the ice crack when it came? I know the ice cracked. I don't know about a sign. And the bird itself, it's its so different. What do you mean? It's, well, it's not afraid of men. It's more like a friend. I know because I fed it. You fed it? Yes. It comes down at noon on the forward hatch, and I've been feeding it by hand. It comes down? Aye. It's almost noon now, Uncle. Wait and see, and... Where are you going? Below. But don't you want to see... I'm going below. Oh, stranger, listen. Listen, all I wanted was what others had done, for which others had not been damned. I went below to get my gun. When I came back on deck, the wind had risen. And for a moment, I watched the glinting sun and the pure blue sky. And then I saw the bird. The great bird turning, circling slowly in the flawless air. The circles growing smaller as it descended with sweet and joyous cries. Upon the hatch it settled and stood there noble, wrapped in the sheer virgin whiteness of its wings, a godly bird of beauty. And I saw Samuel smiling, beckoning to it, and calmly with graceful steps the bird came near. Oh, Lord. Lord, how shall I be forgiven? I saw it all. The white bird and Samuel between the sights of my gun, and I pulled the trigger and fired. I killed the albatross. Uncle! Uncle, you killed the bird! God's sign you killed! God's sign! That has harmed you, Jonathan. It made the wind to blow! That has harmed you! Was it your enemy, Jonathan? Why did you do it? Why did you kill the birds? Face me and tell me why. Their words and voices crowded me. I heard them on all sides. Then, all at once, their words were stilled. And in the silence, there leaped a fear. The wind, Uncle. 
The wind has died. I died. The wind had fled from us, becalmed, fixed in a voiceless sea, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. And day after day, a sun rose up, white and blinding, it arched the sky. And all, all turned their faces and cursed at me, for I had killed the bird that brought the breeze. I had done a blasphemous thing. Curse him. Curse the devil that killed the bird, for by his deed we are all dying. He's suffering too, Carpenter. Jonathan, you murderer! Jonathan! You called me? Oh, it's you, the devil. Strike him, God. He murdered his fellows. Go away, Jonathan. Mates! Mates! Don't let him escape! Mark him out so that he'll be known on Judgment Day! Brand him! Single him out so that punishment won't fail to find him! Mates, listen to me! Get out of here, Jonathan! Get below! Let him be marked as Cain was marked! Brand him! Mark him out! Listen, listen, man! Bring the albatross! The albatross! Here it is! Tie it about his throat! Tie it! Let him bear the full burden of his deed! No. Now shall the Lord find him swiftly, unerringly, marked and branded as he is. Is it tied well? Aye, like a gallows rope. Then to the wrath of God we commend him. A ship there was, out of the west, rushing toward us with its sails swollen with wind. But the wind that blew was not for us. It was clear we watched a phantom vessel, for her hull was ribbed like a skeleton, and her sails were white as shrouds. The moon grinned through her, stars glinted through her sides, and on the bridge her captain stood. We saw him and we screamed, for he wore the bleached white face of death. And as he neared, he laughed and cried, The game is done. I've won. I've won. And swift as light, his ship sped by and disappeared from sight. King Death fled by, but his laughter still was, was with us. And then I heard the sigh. I spun around, the albatross still on my throat, and saw the ones who tied it there had fallen where they stood. Stranger. Stranger. None were alive, none but the carpenter and I. They died, and there were only us, alone, alone on the wide, wide sea. The carpenter and I. still left alive. Why did we not, like all the rest, slump to the deck? What fate was ours? Wild-eyed with thirst, surrounded by our brother dead, what destiny was ours? 
with swollen tongues and crazy dreams, up and down the decks we crawled. And I could see in the carpenter's eyes his burning hate of me. Day after day, the ship stood still. No wind blew up, no wisp of wind. And motionless as stone, we lay upon a lifeless sea in which all sort of crawling things did live far happier than me, who did not hear the things I heard, nor dream the things I did. How happy were those slimy things, the things that crawl, the fish that swam, that bore no guilt like me. Look at them, carpenter, the dwellers in the sea, the flashing phosphorescent fire. How joyous are his things. The miracle of living things, of God's creations, those secure in his understanding. How blessed are the happy, those in the warmth and brightness of his ray. Jonathan. Blessed are his living things, bird and beast, they that fly and they that swim. Oh, fortunate, beloved of God. You're praying, <laughs> Jonathan. Praying, blessed be they, these crawling things. Blessed be the lowest of his creatures, those dwelling in the slime. His love for them surpasseth all understanding. My love for them reaches toward my God. Jonathan, the albatross! It's fallen, fallen, fallen from my throat. I'm freed, freed! Oh, merciful God, I'm free! And there's a storm, Jonathan. A storm's breaking. And it's raining. Carpenter! Rain! And I swooned. How long I lay there, I do not know. And when I heard the voices, I do not know whether I was awake or dreaming, but I heard them, sweet and gentle, reaching me through the patter of the rain. This is the man, brother. Yes, this is the one who shot the harmless albatross. He shot the work of him who makes all things to grow. And he has penanced them? Then he is free? No. More penance will he do from dawn to night. And I awoke, my body wet with rain, and lo, the sails were filled with breeze and wind, and swift and sure the ship raced on. I saw the carpenter standing near. I did not notice what he saw. I only blessed the rain and wind. What is it, carpenter? You're staring. Is something wrong? Listen. Listen. Carpenter! The bell. The ship's bell. Who's ringing it, Carpenter? Who's ringing it? The dead, Jonathan. The dead are ringing the bell. And then I looked and screamed, for there, there on the bridge, walked Mr. Springer, the mate, and at the helm stood Larson. And both stared with a corpse's stare at the ocean they could not see. But they were dead. And yet they sailed the sea. And it was then I heard the whisper. And I saw a phantom crew. The moon whitened their faces as white as snow. And their dead limbs were moving, moving, 
hauling on rope, climbing the shrouds. Our ship was sailed by a dead man crew. It can't be! It can't! They're dead. Dead as a ten-day dweller in a tomb. But they walk! They work! They rose like Lazarus. With a last lightning crash, they rose, silent as shadows, and took their places. It's judgment! Judgment Day! Yes, Samuel, my brother's son, Samuel! Samuel! It's I, Jonathan, your uncle. Speak to me. Mr. Springer! Larson! Samuel! It's I, Jonathan, say you forgive me. Now, now I understand the voices in the dream. What dream? As I slept, I heard them. Penance have I done, he said, and penance more will do. Guilt, guilt like a disease will fester in me until the end of my days. Which shall be soon, soon. Where are you going? To get my tools. I'm a carpenter, and it is time to build my own ship. A ship that shall be the length of me and the width of me. A ship that'll snugly fit the harbor we are bound for. What harbor, carpenter? The grave. Did you hear, Carpenter? Land! Land! Do you see it? There! It's looming up like... Like what, Jonathan? Death's kingdom? No. No. Look! The lighthouse on the point! They signal the way into that kingdom. And the shoreline of the bay. And the hills. The harbor! Carpenter! It's home! Home! This is our own harbor, Carpenter. We've been brought back out of the mouth of hell to our own home. If it's true. It is. There's the pilot's boat putting out. I can see the pilot and the priest of the parish with him. He'll strive us, Carpenter. He'll welcome us with a blessing. He'll... What is it, Carpenter? The dead. Look at them. Look at them. And I did. I turned and looked and saw them all. Her phantom crew arrayed upon the bridge as if they were a singing choir, as if a band of seraphim. For above each one, there glowed a light, a holy light, as if seraphim they were. And the light was pure, mild with grace, and each one had his head upraised as if to praise his God. Hymns I did not hear, yet I was filled with peace as if hymns they'd really sung. Oh, wedding guest, it was a vision of joy. But it was then the sound rumbled across the bay. It's judgment! Judgment! Jonathan! And then it was as if the universe was shattered by the sound, the heavens burst with sound, and the ship sunk down like lead. How long I was flung about in the sea, how long I swam, I do not know. I knew death was swimming at my side. And when my strength was done, as down I sank, I felt a hand seize mine. It pulled me up, it grasped me tight, and I saw the carpenter. His eyes were glowing with a passionate light as if another vision he'd seen. He smiled, and it was like our Lord's smile. For a moment he held me in his arms, and then he spoke, and his voice was deep and strong. This is what I was saved for, Jonathan. Now I know I have already drowned, but I am sent back to give you back to the living world to tell your tale to living men. For God loves all things, great and small. He loves both man and bird 
and beast. And with strong and powerful strokes, he drew me toward the pilot's boat. A sourceless light lit up our way, and his face glowed in the fire. And when we reached the boat, he lifted me and pushed me in. I saw the pilot's look go white with fear, and the reverend seize his cross. And as I lay there, the carpenter flung up his arms and cried, It's done! It's done! And then he sunk down into the sea, and I was saved, saved, though still upon the sea. Father, good father, shrive me. Shrive you? Of what? A sin, father. I've sinned as no man ever before. Shrive me my woe. Before I touch the shore, I must be cleansed before I touch the shore. The devil pleads with you, father. Oh, give me, give me forgiveness by a mortal man. My soul hungers for their gentle words. Give evidence that like the lowest thing, I too am love. Shrive me, father. Shrive me. What kind of sin was done? Listen, father, listen. And there, but a hundred yards from shore, I told my tale, and I was eased of my woe. And when I was through, the good reverend blessed me, and I wept to hear the gentle forgiveness of a mortal man. Oh, wedding guest, when I touched the shore, love for all things great and small burned in my soul, for all God's works, no matter where or how they dwell. And now I travel through the world, and this is my penance. When I see the face, I know the man who must hear my tale. To him my tale I teach. I see wedding guests burst from the hall. I hear them calling you. Farewell. Farewell. And yet before I go, listen. This I have learned in the agony of my woe. He prayeth best who loveth best all things the Lord has made. Happiest and near to God is he who cherisheth his works. Farewell. Farewell. May God be at your side. Nicholas! Nicholas! They're calling you. I hear. But let me walk part of the way with you. For a while... Let me walk at your side. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the story, The Tale of the Ancient Mariner. Bellkeeper! Hold the bell. If it sometimes seemed overwrought, it was no more overwrought than the original lyrical ballad by Samuel Taylor Coleridge that was Ancient Mariner, the weird circle from February 11, 1945, inspired by the poem The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Coleridge. A ghost story, a sea story, and a cautionary tale about the connectedness of all living things. Quite a lot to bundle into a half an hour of the weird circle. 
We're off to a lost colony now via X-1 here on Skywave Audio Theater. Robert Shackley was one of the best-known science fiction writers from the 1950s into the early 21st century. He was a very prolific writer of nonfiction as well as fiction, and his humor comes through in a short story about a long-lost Earth colony trying to realign with the mother culture. It's called Skulking Permit, and here it is from X-1 of February 15, 1956. In just a moment, X-1. But first, how does one man get himself into so many impossible situations? Well, this is a question you'll probably ask yourself tomorrow night when you follow another hilarious misadventure of Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Yes, Gildy's eye for the ladies and his impulsive temperament managed to entangle him in a web of riotous circumstances. Be sure to join the romantic water commissioner, his neighbors, Judge Hooker, Mr. Peavy, and all the loyal Gildersleeve household as they romp through another episode of The Great Gildersleeve tomorrow night. And now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. X-1 salutes our Philadelphia station. Its new call letters, WRCV. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight's story, Skulking Permit, by Robert Sheckley. August 16th, year 2204. Two, Central Colonial Administrative Authority, Alpha Centauri Sector. From Colonial Contact Inspector 37. Subject, Planet New Delaware. Following the procedure outlined in manual for contact with lost colonies, open communication by interstellar radio with New Delaware. This is the first contact established in 200 years. And proceeding on overdrive for personal investigation, situation on New Delaware appears unconventional, to say the least. Hi, hi there. Hi, Billy. Hi, Tom. Got no time for talking this morning. Got to get this sign up. It's a real pretty sign. No aliens allowed within city limits. What's an alien? Beats me. The mayor told me to put it up. He says to me, Billy Painter, you're chief of police, so I want you to paint me a big sign and set it right in front of the town hall. Aliens. Aliens. Oh, it's a real pretty word. Billy! 
Billy Painter, I thought I told Take you... Take it easy, Mayor. I put the sign up. It's not that, it's the church. I painted it just like you told me. I know, I know, but you painted it wrong. I painted that church with a nice bright red. What's wrong with that? I looked it up. It's a little red schoolhouse, not church house. Churches are supposed to be white. Can't keep track of them all. Schoolhouse, church house, jail, post office. Got along fine enough in New Delaware for 200 years without them. I know, I know, but we need them now, and we haven't got much time. Where are the carpenter boys? I saw Sam and Marv over at Ed Beer's Tavern. Well, Billy, you go down there and tell them that they've got to build us a little schoolhouse, and, and you paint it red. It's very important. The mayor, when do I get a police chief badge? I read that a police chief always gets a badge. Make yourself one. Now go on. All right, then. Oh, it sure is hot here. I don't know why the inspector couldn't have come in winter. Oh, Tom, Tom Fisher. Yeah? yeah. Uh, Tom, I've got a job for you, a very important job. Well, now, look, Mayor, I'm on vacation. Fish won't be back in these waters. No vacation, not now. He's due any day. Uh, Tom, how would you like to be a criminal? I don't know. What's a criminal? Well, come over to my house, and I'll explain. I've got to appoint a criminal, and it looks to me like you're it. You don't mind sitting right next to the interstellar radio, do you? I'm waiting for a call. Thought that thing was broken. No, no, it, it wasn't broken. My father told me always to leave the monitor on recording in case. Just didn't seem to be anybody calling, not for 200 years. Not since that war back on Earth. Oh, oh that's, it's time now. You just listen, Tom. They said that they would call just at this time. New Delaware. New Delaware, do you hear me? New Delaware, come in immediately. Yes, 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 we, he we hear you. He's very touchy. This is Colonial Inspector 37. As I told you in my broadcast yesterday, there's been no contact with the outer colonies for some centuries due to unsettled uh, conditions here. But that's over except for a little mopping up. Now, you of New Delaware are still a colony of Earth and subject to her laws. Do you acknowledge that status? Oh, yes. We, we called a town meeting last night and talked it all over. We're still loyal to Earth. Excellent. That saves us the trouble of sending an expeditionary force to reconquer you. However, as colonial contact inspector, I will be obliged to make a personal investigation to make sure that you conform fully to the customs, institutions, and traditions of Imperial Earth. Imperial? That's funny. Mm -hmm. All the books talk about Earth as a united democracy. Well, a lot can change in 200 years. And, of course, there's been a war. Do you hear me, New Delaware? Oh, yes. Yes, sir. We hear you. You realize, of course, there is room for only one intelligent species in the universe, man. All others must be suppressed, wiped out. We can tolerate no aliens. I'm sure you understand, General. I'm not a general. I'm a mayor. You're in charge, aren't you? Uh, yes, yes. Then you're a general. I'll be sure you're running an Earth colony, General, with no radical departures from the norm, such as free will, free speech, free elections, or anything else on the proscribed list. It is impossible to administer an empire where everyone does as he pleases. Get your colony in order, General. I will call to inspect you in exactly one week. That is all. Well, you see how it is, Tom. Now, Tom, about your job. I'm appointing you town criminal. I don't see why there has to be a criminal. That's a very important part of Earth society. All the books say so, Tom. The criminal is as important as the postman or the, or the police chief. He works against society. If you don't have people working against society, how can you have people working for it? How can there be any more important job? Well, I don't want to do it. Now, be reasonable, Tom. Put yourself in my position. This inspector comes and he meets Billy Painter, our police chief. 
He asked to see the jail. Then he says, no prisoners? How can I hold my head up and tell him that we don't have any crime? No crime, he'll say, but earth colonies always have crime. Don't you see that, Tom? Uh, right there, the whole thing falls through. He'll see that we're not truly earth-like. We're, we're faking it. We're aliens. And you heard what he said about being rough on aliens. Well, yeah, but why me? Can't spare anyone else. And you've got narrow eyes. Criminals always have narrow eyes. Well, they aren't that narrow. Tom, please, we're all doing our part. You, you want to help now, don't you? Oh, I suppose so. Fine, you're our criminal. Here, I've, I've got this paper all made out for you, just to make it legal. Skulking <laughs> permit. Uh, no, all men by these presents that Tom Fisher is a duly authorized thief and murderer. He is hereby required to skulk in dismal alleys, haunt places of low repute, and to break the law. Uh, what's the law? I'll let you know as fast as I make them up. All Earth colonies have laws. Well, what do I do? You steal and kill. Look, I'll, I'll give you a couple of books on it. Steal as much as you like. Uh, one murder should be enough. Don't overdo it. Well, it don't sound sensible somehow. Well, you can work up to it, Tom. Why don't you start off easy, like, by haunting a place of low repute? <laughs> Hello, Tom. I hear you're our official criminal now. That's right. Uh, I have a beer. How's it going? Well, I've been studying. I can't put my finger on it yet. Hey, did you get the weapons Mary Carpenter sent over? Yeah, a hatchet, a spear, two knives, and a blackjack. Uh-huh. I stuck myself with a spear, Ed. The whole thing ain't sensible to me. I can't figure out what's the purpose of crime. What do people get out of it? Here's the beer. I tried a new route this time. Tell me how you like it. Hmm. Very dry. Less filling. How come you ain't out thieving now, Tom? Oh, I'm planning. My permit says I have to haunt places of low repute, and that's why I'm here. Well, this ain't no place of low repute. You serve the worst meals in town. I know. My wife can't cook. But there's, there's a real friendly atmosphere here. Uh, the folks like it, Tom. It's all changed, Ed. I'm making this tavern my headquarters. It's now a criminal lair. Mm, try to keep a nice place and a lot of thanks you get. Tom, you steal anything yet? Oh, well, not yet, Mary, no. I'll have a paracoola, Ed. Don't worry, Tom, you'll catch on. If anyone in this village can learn, you can. Sure, we got confidence in you, Tom. Why don't you steal something right now, Tom? Go ahead. Well, suppose I could. I brought some geefers in my basket. They're real ripe. You could steal those. Well, they are nice-looking geefers, Mary, real tasty. Go ahead, Tom. Steal it. Well, I... <clears throat> These are nice-looking geefers. Mind if I take one out of the light and look at it? <laughs> no, Tom, you go right ahead. Now, just a minute there. Hi, Billy, what do you have? I'm on official police business. What were you doing with that geefer, Tom? Just looking at it. I don't think you were just looking at it, Tom. I think you were planning on stealing it. You're a suspicious character. I think I'd better lock you up for further questioning. No, 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 Billy. What are you doing? I'm doing my duty, Mayor. Tom here is looking mighty suspicious. The book says... I know what the book says. I gave you the book. You can't go arresting Tom, not yet. But there's no other criminal in the village. Oh, Billy, don't you understand? This village needs a criminal record. Acting suspiciously isn't a crime. All right, but I was just trying to do my job. 
I'll still get you, Tom. Remember, crime does not pay. Hey, that's a real slick way of putting it, isn't it? I thought it was kind of catchy. I read it in the book. Well, Tom, go ahead now. Steal something. Well, I'm not in the mood anymore. You better get to it soon, and don't forget the murder. Is it really necessary? Oh, I wish it weren't, but this colony has been here for over 200 years, and we haven't had a single murder. Not one. Well, I suppose we should have one. No, I'll take care of it. Good boy, Tom. We're counting on you. Billy, I want you to paint up a couple hundred signs saying private property, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted, and a dozen saying speed limit 35 miles an hour. Why? All we got is those quag horses, and they won't go faster than a walk. Never mind. You got to have a speed limit. It's civilized. Well, that's the last of the science, Billy. You might as well get some sleep. Aren't you going home, Mayor? No, I've got to get out to Fred Farmer's. I appointed him postmaster since nobody ever sends letters around here. I promised to help him write all those letters. Well, good night, Mayor. I guess I better be making my rounds. Yeah, good, good night, Billy. Who's that? Tom? Tom Fisher? You out thieving? Who's there? Don't move or I'll shoot. Hey, Tom, come back. Hey, what's going on out there? What's all the racket? It's the town criminal, Ed. I think I heard him robbing your house. Yeah? He's made his getaway now, but don't you worry. I'll get him yet. All right, but get him in the morning, will you? Some of us are trying to sleep. Marv, how's the schoolhouse coming? Fair. Would have come along better if I had my saw. Your saw? Yeah. I left it leaning against my door last night. Wasn't there this morning, Tom. Oh, yeah, your saw. Well, you know how it is, Marv. I had to practice some skulking last night. Yeah, sure. Say, do you suppose I could use the saw for a while, just for an hour or two? Well, I don't know. It's legally stolen, you know. Well, I'd give it back. I wouldn't keep anything that was legally stolen. Well, it's in the house with the rest of the loot. Okay, I'll go borrow it then. Tom, I've been looking for you. Morning, Mayor. Did you steal my bronze plaque? I certainly did. Oh, well, I was just wondering. You did it just in time. You see up there? What? What? Up there, the black dot near the rim of the sun. Oh, what is it? Well, I'll bet it's the inspector ship. You, you got your murder planned? Time is running short, Tom. The inspector may land any hour now. That darn radio's been yapping at me something about a revolt at Deng 4, and all Earth colonies are to prepare for uh, conscription, whatever that is. So let's get that killing over with. I don't know, though. Murder... Now look, Tom. Criminals on Earth commit dozens of murders a day and think nothing of it. All this village wants of you is one little killing? Is that too much to ask? Now, who will it be, Tom? Well, uh, I guess I'll kill George Waterman. Why? Why? Why not? What's your motive? I thought you just wanted a murder. Who said anything about a motive? We can't have a fake murder. On Earth, every murderer has a motive. Well, I don't like the way George walks, never did, and he's noisy. No, sometimes. no, no. That might be good enough for a crime of passion, but you're a legal criminal. Tom, you're ruthless, cold-blooded, and cunning. You can't kill someone just because you don't like the way he walks. That's silly. 
I better think the whole thing over. Well, don't take too long. Oh, and Tom, don't forget to leave clues. They're very important. Have another beer, Tom. I don't mind if I do. Hey, how do you like the way I fixed the tavern over? I hung up dirty curtains, you know. That makes it a dismal retreat. Because I figured if this was going to be your headquarters, it ought to be a real criminal's lair. How do you like the bloodstains on the floor? That's only Billy Painter's rootberry red paint. Oh, I know, but it looks like bloodstains. Hey, how's the murder coming? Oh, not so good. No, I've been thinking about it, Ed. You realize I'm supposed to kill somebody? I'm supposed to make somebody cease to exist. I mean, like, take Marv Carpenter. Here he is today working on a schoolhouse, big fella. Now, if I kill him, well, he wouldn't work anymore. I've been trying to imagine it. Marv Carpenter lying on the ground with his eyes glaring open and his mouth twisted and never going to hold a piece of wood in his hands again or never going to sing a song or have a beer or anything. What just made me kind of sick. I mean, I could go on with the thieving, but murder... Yeah, yeah, I know, but, Tom, it's your job. It's for the good of the village. Murder. I better have another beer. Hey, what's that? That must be the inspector's ship landing. Come on, let's go see. Perimeter guard advance. Set up portable generators and rocket launchers. All personnel restricted to immediate area of the ship. Sidearms to be worn at all times. And guards at battle station. <laughs> Welcome to New Delaware. Hmm. Thank you, General. I'm the inspector. Uh, this is Mr. Grant, my political advisor. Is this the capital of the colony? Well, I'm afraid there's only this village on the whole of New Delaware. Only one? Now, Grant, I told you when we surveyed the planet we were wasting our time. Patience, patience. There's always an advantage in every situation. If you gentlemen are ready... Ready? Uh, you're going to inspect our village, aren't you? Inspect? I can see it all. Why, right... of course, General, we're ready. Let's inspect your village. You see, we've got it all. Jail, post office, church, little red schoolhouse. Oh, we're very normal, very earthy. Huh. Grant, I have my efficiency rating to think of. This place is worthless. No smelting, no heavy industry, no atomics, no taxation, no... no. They don't have anything. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Inspector. Uh, if you'll excuse us, General. Of course. Of course. I'll be downgraded at the next colonial board. Why, why this place is a, a utopia. It's subversive. We ought to blow it right out of the sky. Oh, no, don't be despondent, Inspector. But this whole trip is a total waste of time. Not entirely. New Delaware has a very important commodity for us. What? You saw them? Hulking peasants? Nothing but farmers. Yes, strong, healthy farmers. Good cannon fodder. But, but... Oh. Oh, let me take over. General. Yes, sir? How many able young men are there in the village between the ages of 15 and 60? Why? You see, General, Imperial Earth is engaged in a war. The colonies in Deng 4 are revolting against the authority of Mother Earth. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, we need good, healthy fighting men. <clears throat> uh, our reserves are uh, depleted. We wish to give all loyal colonists a chance to fight for Mother Earth. We're sure you won't refuse. Hmm. Most colonies welcome a little conscription. Mm -hmm. Cleanses the blood, 
reduces crime. Crime? Oh, I thought that would come up. We've taken care of that. I appointed... Now, you see, Grant, 60, 70, perhaps 100 recruits. Not such a waste of time coming here at all. Perhaps not. <clears throat> Sergeant, detail a squad of 50 men armed with portable heat generators to post a guard in the village. All right, Mr. Mayor. Suppose we go talk this problem over. Tom? Tom, you out there? Yeah. I've been skulking out here all day. I'm hungry. Well, I brought you supper. The mayor sent you a message, Tom. He said to hurry up at the murder. He's been stalling the inspector and that nasty little Grint man, but they're going to ask him. They're sure to. All right, all right. I'll get around to it. Tonight. Hey. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, hello, Tom. What are you doing? Well, you said there had to be a murder, so I'm... Now, gonna... wait. I didn't mean me. It can't be me. Well, why not? Well, for one thing, somebody has to talk to the inspector. He's waiting for me. Someone has to well, show Billy him Panda how to... can do that. You think a knife would be more fatal in the heart or in the throat? Well, nothing personal, of course. Wait. If there's nothing personal, then you have no motive. Oh. Well, I guess I could think of one. I've been pretty sore about you appointing me town criminal. It was the mayor who appointed you, wasn't it? Well, sure. Then look, I'm not a mayor anymore. I, I'm a general. Look, it's stars, gold braid. Well, what's that got to do with it? Well, you uh, missed the ceremony this afternoon, Tom. Inspector said I had to wear a general's uniform. It was a very friendly ceremony. All the Earthmen were grinning. They were winking at me and at each other. Oh, congratulations. But you were the mayor when you appointed me criminal, so my motive still holds. Yes, but killing a general isn't murder. It's mutiny. Oh. Oh. Well, I'm sorry. That's all right. It's just that I've read up on it, and you haven't. Well, I'd better get back. The inspector wants a lot of the men that he can draft. Are you sure this murder is necessary? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Just not me. No luck, huh, Tom? Oh, I just can't do it. Ed... I can't kill anybody in the village. I grew up with them. I've worked with them. I've drunk root beer with them. I don't have any motive for killing any of them. I know, but you do have to commit a murder, Tom. You don't want to let the village down. But I can't kill the people I've known all my life. No, I suppose not. Wait. Wait a minute. I got mm -hmm. an idea. Ed, suppose I kill the inspector. Well, what's your motive? Oh, it would be a very terrible crime. I'd be killing for glory, for fame, for notoriety. And it'll show Earth how uh, earthy New Delaware really is. Why, they'll say crime is so bad here that a criminal actually killed their inspector on the very first day. Tom, that's just the sort of thing a master criminal would do. Oh, you think it's a good idea, huh? I think it's great, Tom. But how are you going to do it? Well, one of those soldiers got drunk in a bottle of your Keebler juice and dropped his gun. I picked it up. Oh, is that a gun? Yeah, you push this button here. Hey, look oh, out! I'm sorry, Ed. I... Oh. Now I'll have to get the carpenter boys to fix that hole in the roof. Oh, well, I'll be careful. Did you kill the soldier? Of course not. No point in killing the wrong man. Well, I better get going. I'll wait for him on the path between the mayor's house and the ship. Good luck, Tom. Thanks. Three, four. Keep in line there. 
Ah, what a sloppy crew. All left feet. Well, it's a nice night's work. If those landing parties dying like flies, we can use every new man we can get. Don't say that. What, are you afraid the mayor will hear me? Don't be ridiculous. It's a completely passive population. Sheep-like, obedient. Look at them. No two of them in step. Well, what do you expect from backward agrarians? Wait till those sergeants get hold of them at the base. They'll whip them into first-class fighting men in no time. Halt! Stand and deliver! What the... Why, it's Tom. Hands up, Inspector. Huh? I got you covered. Now, the rest of you, drop your guns and move out of the way. What? Now, see here. Now, go on now. Drop those guns. Now, what's the meaning of this? And who are you? Tom Fisher. I'm the town criminal. I'm going to kill the Inspector. Now, please move out of the way. Criminal? So that's what the mayor was prattling about. Now, I know we haven't had any murders in 200 years, but I'm changing that now. Now, move out of the way. Well, I suppose I'd better get out of the line of fire. No, no, wait a minute. Wait. Now, don't move. I know just how to do it. I've been thinking about it. Now, I'll push this button, and you'll die. You'll fall down on the path, and your eyes will open, and your mouth twisted, and no air going in and out of your lungs, and no beat to your heart, and I... I'll, I'll... I can't do it. Here, here's your gun. Take it. I don't want it. Quick, quick, after him. Sergeant, take a squad and search the forest. Take it easy, Inspector. This whole planet is forest. 10,000 men couldn't find him if he doesn't want to be. But I'll have him hanged on the spot. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Sergeant, have the entire ship's company turned out. General, I want all your people out looking for him. Shoot on sight. Kill him instantly. Oh, we couldn't do that. Although we appreciate the compliment. What? What? That man is a criminal. That's what I'm trying to explain. I appointed him. We, we had to have one. You what? You mean you had no criminals? I... Well, I'm afraid not. Oh, I, I'm terribly ashamed. You see, we knew how uncivilized we were, and that's why we did it. I, I'm dreadfully embarrassed that Tom couldn't handle the job. Well, why did you give the assignment to that particular man? Well, I figured if anyone could kill, Tom could. He's a fisherman, you know. Pretty gory work. Oh... And he wasn't able to kill the inspector. Well, we just haven't had to kill anything for 200 years except fish. The only animals on New Delaware are small grass eaters, and they're not good to eat, so we never kill any of them. Then the rest of you would be equally unable to kill? We wouldn't even get as far as Tom did. I want that man found Forget and... about it, inspector. What, what? We'd better get away from here. You want men in our army who can't kill? Oh. Think of it. The morale problem. Ooh. The possibility of infection. One man in a key position endangering a key ship or maybe a whole fleet because he can't kill. It isn't worth the risk, Inspector. Yes, sir. I... Uh, I see what you mean. Order your troops back to the ship. We'll take off at once. <laughs> Tom! Tom, you can come out now. Tom, they're gone. He's hiding around here somewhere, Mayor. Yeah. Tom! Tom! Here I am. I'm sorry. I bungled it. Well, don't feel bad about it. It was an impossible job. I'm afraid it was. I thought that just possibly you could swing it, but you can't be blamed, Tom. There's not another man in the village who could have done the job even as well. Hmm. What are we going to do with all those buildings, Mayor? The jail, the post office, the little red schoolhouse, the church? Well, I think we'll build a playground for the kids with swings and slides and 
sandboxes for them. Another playground? Surely, why not? Well, I guess I won't be needing my skulking permit anymore. No, no, I guess not. Oh, well, we did our best. I had the chance, then I let you all down. It's not your fault, Tom. Look how long it took Earth to get civilized. Thousands of years. And we were trying to do it in two weeks. Well, we'll just have to go back to being uncivilized. Yeah, yeah. Well, we better get back to the village. Looks like rain. Well, soon I'll start fishing again. <clears throat> Say. What is it, Tom? Well, it's too late now, but it's too bad I didn't think of it before. I might have been able to go through with it. Think of what, Tom? I think I could have done it. If I'd only had the sense to think of the inspector as a fish. Well, it's too late now. Guess he's just a big one that got away. You've just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features an unusual story by James E. Gunn, Cylana, a story of what happened when crime suddenly invaded a crimeless society and where the only way to catch a thief was to manufacture a thief. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight by transcription, X-1 has brought you Skulking Permit, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Robert Sheckley and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in the cast were Dick Hamilton, Wendell Holmes, Joe DeSantis, Joseph Boland, Alan Hewitt, Bill Quinn, Mandel Kramer, and Ruby Dee. Your announcer, Jack Costello. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Let's visit Fibber McGee and Molly tonight on the NBC Radio Network. And there you have a little satire about conformity or an attempt at conformity with the culture of the old country, the old planet, actually. That was Skulking Permit. X-1 from February 15, 1956, based on the story by Robert Sheckley. That's it for this week. I'm Norman Gilliland. Next time around, Gunsmoke and the Shadow and other adventures in sound, and I hope you'll join me then for Skywave Audio Theatre.